It's Friday, May 13th, 2022, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior! America! Steak. For breakfast! So stand by! Someone asked me once in an interview What was growing up like? Where'd you go to school? And what would you do If you weren't doing this? I'd be driving my first car in a worn-out Dodge Trying to make rent with a dead-end job Just making do Tips in a jar, my guitar in an old bar stool. This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. Mm. Rubs, barbecue tools, blow torches, t-shirts, coffee cups, and all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Can be found at manrubs.com or on Instagram, manrubs. Use the code STEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear. They're at stayreadygear.com and on Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, on and off duty gear, hot melted plastic, made just for you. Need something custom? They got you covered. Use the code STEAK for 5% off. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The Pillow King of Minnesota, and the apparatus known as the My Pillow family. Still got the BOGO going on. BOGO. To BOGO extravaganza. According to the commercials, right now, big savings. They have the My Pillow Premiums, buy one get one free. My Slippers and Giza Dream Everything. Time to get those summer edition of the sheets. You can save up to sixty-six percent off. Buy one get one free. Some free shipping, some free gifts, some both. MyPillow.com forward slash steak is the website. Steak is the promo code that you end at checkout. Or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear. The world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording equipment can be found at Odyssey. Whether you're gaming, potting, doing something instead of doing this. There it is. Get those ears taken care of and more. Odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram. Mike, down at West Coast Survival Arms, has been servicing Southern California for over a decade. He's a licensed FFL if you're into the tradesies or live out of state. He's got a five-star rating. Newly redesigned, easy-to-use website is westcoastsurvivalarms.com. You can find him on Facebook Messenger or hit him up via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Steak for Breakfast, Backs the Blue. We love our first responders. They're always working hard. So we're getting ready to kick off Police Week. Bet you a lot of them are going to be wearing underneath their uniforms gear from Mediocre Medic. Sweatshirts, t-shirts, flip-flops, fanny packs, and more. Stickers and patches for while they're on the job. Plus, they got a pretty fire IG. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last, but certainly not least, the gold standard of tactical flair. Home of the Zero Fucks Duck. We found at Dumpbox.us. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. You can find him on Instagram. You can find him on Facebook. Friends, don't forget to follow the show on Instagram at Steak for Podcast Breakfast or on the website at SteakforBreakfastPodcast.com. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, the website, our newest Substack, Telegram, and more. On that note, to all our friends joining us today on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app, 
from the Twitterverse, Instagram, Discord, and now Truth Social. Welcome, Tuesday edition, Steak for Breakfast podcast, episode 134. I'm Roan. Noah's here. Yo. Antoinette's joined us. Hey, guys. Welcome back, dear. Great to have you. Good to be back. Guys, we've got a big show. Five huge guests, two even bigger news segments, and a whole lot more. But before we get into any of that, I'm going to touch on just a tiny bit of housekeeping. Mm. Wanted to send a special thank you and shout out to our great friend, guest last show, going to be doing monthly segments with us now, um, Boris Epstein. Yep. Someone mm. who worked alongside President Trump from day one as a special advisor, strategist. You know, he, he was heavily involved in the 2020 campaign. He's doing more work now than he ever did while 45 was serving in the White House, and that's saying a lot. He's running around state to state. He's endorsing candidates. He's supporting them in their races, consulting and advising, and helping these America First candidates get over the uh, finish line. If you haven't listened to episode 133 yet, where Boris joined us and, and gave us a lot of insight on some of the major races and primaries coming up, you need to get in there. But what I want to talk touch on real quick, and it's kind of like a little fanboy moment, but it, definitely something we appreciate. Listen, we all know that we have some kind of pseudo-connection with Steve Bannon's War Room. Whether it be guests, content, or the word apparatus, there's some kind of a weird relationship there. So Boris jumped off our show and went on Steak for Battleground with Steve later in the afternoon, same day, last week. And when Steve was talking about uh, making some points on some of the primaries that are coming up, you know, Boris went out there, and, and I'm paraphrasing now, said, you want to know what? I'm going to give you the same answer that I gave when I was on this great podcast today. There were a the few good patriots who were really connected to the MAGA base, doing a great job, Steak for Breakfast podcast. So like a little fan. Oh, shit, I missed that one. Yeah, like a little fanboy, we just, uh, I went and cut up a 45-second audio clip and framed it real nice and threw it up on our social media. So we just wanted to thank Boris for mentioning us on the larger apparatus yeah, and uh, Steve Bannon's war room. We really appreciate it. And uh, moving forward, we continue to really value the relationship we have with him. For instance, in regard to today's guest, we're going to be sitting down first to kick off the show with great friend Cash Patel. But right after that, Boris Epstein sponsored, backed, and supporting gubernatorial candidate out of the great state of Georgia. Former Senator Mr. David Perdue is going to be sitting down with us as well. So let's jump into those. All right, coming in first with us today, one of our great friends, the former Chief of Staff to the DOD, Special Assistant to Donald Trump, expert in all things counterterrorism, future movie star, Mr. Catch Patel. Thanks for joining us again on Steak for Breakfast. I love being on the show, man. You guys' show is lighting it up on Truth Social. So I've been following your stuff. So hopefully your guys' uh, uh, audience explodes there. Yeah, it's we're doing well. It's, it's so amazing. We're on our eighth Twitter account. It's taken me like a month to get a little over 600 followers there. But we're on True Social. We're about to hit 3K in, in just a very short amount of time. I think we're going to get verified here soon. Weird. So- yeah, we put it. Oh, on- yeah, you want to get verified? You might know a guy on the board, so maybe Ooh. I'll make that check mark go happen today. That's great. You know, I've I've been texting back and forth with I believe his name is, is it Robert? I can't remember who. And he'll ask I'll me. Take- yeah, yeah, he asked me for an email, then he asked me for like a screenshot of my other social medias. I'm like, do you need anything else? And he like thumbs up it. A pair of views nah. nowhere. We'll get that. We'll take that for action as a thank you for you guys for all you do on a Friday. Speaking of which, nice. Here's you doing a lot of stuff for us on a Friday, and we haven't even started uh, our segment yet, which, you know, could be called Cash's Corner 2.0 or, like, bonus <laughs> cash footage, um, which is another great podcast that I love to frequent uh, whenever you throw them out there. I want to talk about some serious stuff before we get into it. Uh, probably the most important topic in everything going on in your world, Cash, right now, the NHL playoffs. 
Yes. So I'm actually in Tampa and I went to game six last night, which was freaking awesome. Uh, Bolts took it in overtime. So I kind of have to cheer for them since I'm an Islanders fan. I hate the Maple Leafs for Johnny Tavares leaving my <laughs> Islanders and go. So I hope their snake bitten curse carries on forever. And I told my buddy that I was at the game with last night. I was like, if the Bulls win game six, the Toronto media is going to eat the Maple Leafs alive. And there's no way they win game seven at home. Yeah, it's, it, it's, it's been a crazy series. I've been tracking it. I have been losing some more hair and, and it's going grayer, believe it or not. Um, because I'm a Rangers fan, and they were one of the top seeds in the yeah. East. They they went out and lost Game One. Now they're in a they're heading into Game Six tonight. Uh, they're down three games to two. So we'll see what happens. I mean, hopefully we uh, can harness some of that 1994 magic. The entire Pittsburgh Penguins <laughs> team is hurt. Um, but yeah, the the NHL playoffs seems to be what's going on right now, and we know you're a huge hockey fan with a big hockey background, so I wanted to make sure I brought that up. Islanders, oh, huh? Best, the best time of year. Watch every single game. I'm even cheering for the Rangers as an Islander fan because I can't stand Sidney Crosby. So you know, go Rangers for right now. Yeah, they banged him up. It looks like he's out for Game Six, so I'm pretty excited for that. We'll see what happens there. Um, <laughs> probably one A and big news. We're, we're heading into a big week for everything uh, regarding the Durham investigation. Yeah. Uh, you want to let our listening audience get caught up a little bit? I know I've seen you put out some literature lately. You talked about it on a podcast, but uh, let's let uh, you know the steak for breakfast crowd here. What you got going on regarding that? Yeah. So I think the trial of the Hillary Clinton lawyer starts on Monday. Jury selection starts in federal court, and of course, that's basically the epicenter of the RussiaGate investigation that we that Devin and I ran so many years ago that I talk about endlessly on Cash's Corner for when people want to fall asleep, they should go listen there. Um, but basically, we proved that the Hillary Clinton campaign not only paid for the whole Fusion GPS deal, FISA abuse uh, deal against Donald Trump, but now John Durham has shown that they are criminally liable or he's on, he's on the march to do so. Got him. And long story short, and all the stuff that Durham's put out in the case coming out next week against Michael Sussman, one of the lead Hillary Clinton lawyers, is that the FBI, Peter Schrock, Andy McCabe, the Justice Department, and the media and the Hillary Clinton campaign were all in on it from the beginning. And he, John Durham, has put out information in the form of discovery, which shows the FBI's own notes, Andy McCabe, the deputy director's own notes, Peter Strzok, the guy that ran the Clinton email investigation and the guy that ran Russiagate, who false, they both write in their own writing. We know that basically the Russiagate investigation is BS. We know the information we're getting fed is BS, but we're going to continue the investigation anyway because we don't like Donald Trump. And that's what the world's going to learn. And it's going to be all over Truth Social. I'm going to be doing live play-by-play. Uh, play. Uh, maybe you guys can do the play-by-play play with me and some color commentary. We'll have some fun going back and forth. But it's going to be a heater of a trial. And people are finally, even the fake news media, not all of them, just some of them, are finally starting to be like, okay, we can't actually dodge these federal pleadings and federal indictments for much longer. Not that CNN and New York Times will, but at least some of them are coming around. And, you know, I think this guy's going to get convicted. And once he does, it's going to be, you know, it's game on for John Durham. And, and uh, Clinton world is going, the Clinton crime syndicate is going to have some major, major problems come the summer of 2022. Yeah, the, the fact checker is going to have a hard time rationalizing that one, probably. Mm. <laughs> no, John Durham is not, not. putting everybody in, in, the, in the Clinton apparatus in jail for, for Russiagate. <laughs> that, those, that, that's how we get Polita checked on all of our social medias. Yeah, it, it's pretty crazy what's going on with that case. I mean, uh, there has to be a lot of tight buttholes in, in Clinton world right now because 
there's just it's airtight as all things with Durham has been. He slow mm-hmm. leaks stuff, which which leads some people to speculate that he's moving slowly. But behind the scenes, that's not the case. You talked about this maybe two or three times ago when you were on the show that this is like unfolding like a legitimate crime family and those things don't just happen like overnight or in a week or whatever and it's it's funny to joke about but at the same time true of some of the stuff that's come out that we've seen over the you know the last six months all, all the things from like the spying that we speculated about to like whole new forms of it, like in the white house and things like that so a lot of people are are, are really interested in, in seeing what's going to happen here and with the start of this case uh it's got to be pretty exciting to be getting closer to vindication because I think the biggest thing that everybody's wondering about is how many people is Sussman going to flip on, and and in regards to that, what other people do when they're presented with uh, a possible jail time, like he's looking at. Yeah, I mean, look, I, you know, and I keep reminding people, there's a whole other indictment that John Durham charged, you know, Steele, the main uh, the main source for the dossier. He's under a federal indictment, and that case is going to go down later this summer. And those are the only two current charges we know about. As John Durham has admitted in the Sussman case in the pleadings, he said to the judge, I've got multiple other people as targets of my investigation that are still ongoing. And as you alluded to, you know, this is a ginormous Clinton crime syndicate operation that you can't just unfold and unravel overnight. It takes time. And and the defense has overplayed their hand in the Sussman case because they thought the mainstream media would help vindicate um, this criminal uh, in the media by propping up their false stories. But what they did was they basically called out John Durham and John Durham said, "Okay, I was trying my case quietly, but now I'll go try it publicly. And he just blasted out information after information about evidence about a joint venture conspiracy, the likes of Fusion GPS tied directly to the Clinton crime syndicate and their lawyers and the FBI intentionally doctoring FISA applications after they knew the information was false to begin with. Now they've got like, look, Devin and I always said when we were running Russiagate, if you can use their own documentation to bring them down, there is no better way to do it. And that's exactly what John Durham's doing. He's taking their evidence and using it in his case in chief, their words, their writings, their meetings, their payments, their wire transfers and their associates and bringing them down on themselves. And like you said, you know, it's too late for Michael Sussman to cop a plea. But, uh, you know, when he goes down, it's not too late for him to cooperate thereafter so he can beg not to go to federal prison. But then people are once you get the first big domino to fall, then people are going to be like, OK, wait, John Durham is actually convicting people. I sort of maybe need to get my act together and flip and, you know, scream up the food chain as to who else was involved. And I still think this goes to Fusion GPS. I still think they should be charged. I still think Andy McCabe should be indicted. I still think, you know, a couple of people in Clinton world, Jake Sullivan should be indicted. You know, we have all this. We have all this stuff called Durham Watch on um, my uh, my uh, handle at cash on Truth Social. And Durham Watch is it's free. Go there, go to fightwithcash.com and you can see every every pleading, every document and also all every show I do on Cash's Corner, which, by the way, tonight is going to be probably the biggest heater of an episode I've ever taped on Cash's Corners releasing tonight. I just went after him. Um, I think the editors at Epoch Times got a little scared, but uh, <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how that goes, because, uh, you know, gloves are off and it's time to just bury these people. Yeah. I, and you got to love how like the greasier and dirtier the, the smaller ponds are, the more readily they'll flip for the bigger ones. Yeah. Too. Big time. And uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that unfolds. Cash, you mentioned us, us jumping in with you when you're doing your live play by play. You let me know. 
I'll tell Noah he's not sleeping that day, much to his chagrin, and mm. we'll be there. With him. <laughs> Let's do it. So I love it. I'm in. Staying in the legal field, but this is a little bit more of a joking matter. I saw yesterday, probably on the back of the bad week of inflation, then the baby formula stuff, and everything else that's going wrong with the Biden administration, they announced that there was more <laughs> re-subpoenas for some of uh, people close to Donald Trump in regards to the January 6th committee. How much of an absolute joke do you see that as? Well, yeah, like, a, look, there's, there's Congress does have a purpose when they actually run investigations of oversight that are, you know, based in law. In fact, like when we ran Russiagate with Devin and I, now you know what a political charade looks like with the unselect committee for January 6th. Remember, look, they subpoenaed me. It cost, what, 100, 200 grand in attorney's fees to get that adjudicated, but I had nothing to hide. And now all they have to run on, they can't run on the border. They can't run on Iran. They can't run on Russia. They can't run on China. And they certainly can't run on the economy and baby formula. So the only thing they have left is Jan 6, Jan 6, Jan 6. So what do they do? For the first time that I can recall in modern U.S. history, they subpoena members of Congress because what does it do? It gets them a headline. New York Times and CNN are you know just lapping it up saying, wow, look what's going to happen. By the way, nothing's going to happen. Do you think Jim Jordan's going to be like, oh, I got a congressional subpoena. Now I have to go <laughs> cower to these people. Do you think Andy uh, McCarthy's going to do that? I mean, or Biggs or any of these guys? I mean, they couldn't have picked the worst targets to go after. They wanted a quick punch. They got their headline. Just like when they subpoenaed me and Scavino and Meadows right out of the gate, the first ones, they got their headline. But there's no information for them. You know, we're seeing January 6th defendants get acquitted. We're seeing how the government withheld evidence. We're seeing how they are unlawfully being detained. And oh, by the way, remember the whole Whitmer thing? That was supposed to be the biggest takedown <laughs> murder operation of a governor. It turned out that the FBI staged the whole thing and all those defendants got acquitted. So I think the FBI has got a lot more problems and they're going to get exposed, not just during the Sussman trial and John Durham's work, but during the Whitmer stuff, during the Jan 6 stuff. And then, you know, look, the clock, they know the Dems are smart enough to know the clock's running out on them. Basically, they go into summer break in like, what, a month, a month and change here. Yeah. And then, it, you know, and then it's running hard into the midterms. These guys don't work over the summer. They go back home and, you know, try to raise money off Jan 6 subpoenas uh, for their own treasure chest. They're, you know, at the end of the day, they're pretty selfish. So it's unfortunate because there's some good constitutional oversight that needs to happen over Jan 6, over how the FBI was involved how people were mistreated, how evidence has been withheld, and how the DOJ itself is prosecuting these folks and other parents in America as domestic terrorists instead of watching the border while the Biden administration lets in thousands of known terrorists or terrorists on the watch list. It's really, I don't know, it's about as bad as it gets for them. Yeah, it sure is, and it's something that... uh you know, we know that every time it gets really bad for the Biden administration, which is funny to say because it's always been bad for them, they, they kind of just throw one of those, oh, guess who's getting subpoenaed now again? And it kind of confuses people because, you know, I saw a lot of people on like Twitter and True Social and, and all the other social medias get her asking about like, I thought these guys were already subpoenaed. And we're like, yeah, well, this is like another one because we had a bad week. So we just got to kind of see where they roll with that. Cash, you've been, you've been having some some big wins lately. You know, Fight with Cash is doing amazing, as always. You've been in, heavily involved in some midterm election campaigns for some of our great friends who've been on the show all the time. Uh, the, rollout, yeah. the rollout of Truth Social, uh, you know, there was right before anybody could really get any questions in regards to what's going on, boom, the floodgates open, everybody's in, and it seems to be up and running really well. Uh, you guys are about to be testing the uh, desktop version for beta for some of the people who follow the site. You could sign up for that. And then, of course, the Android portion of it is going to be a little bit more down the road. 
Um, how's everything been going in regards to truth? I, it, it's awesome to see you on a social media finally. And, uh, <laughs> you know, what's the whole experience been like doing something uh, that, that big and it being successful? It's kind of wild. I mean, look, you know, it's now public that I'm on the board of TMTG, which is the, uh, m- mother company for truth social. And it's, you know, it's an honor to be there with, you know, guys like president Trump and, and Devin Nunes and, and Don Jr. But, you know, it's the fake news media cycle all over again. They were like, Oh, this, this is going to crash. It's going to fail. It's failing. It's failing. It's failing. And then you put out actual numbers. I think Trump himself has what 3 million supporters on there, like 3 million human beings versus the Twitter bot nation. Right. We've done analytical comparisons that the engagement as you guys have seen is off the charts with real humans actually chiming in, engaging in public discourse and talking about politics, sports, media, the law, what have you. So I think Truth Social has been an enormous success. And Elon Musk coming in with his Twitter, you know, move or whatever you want to call it, we couldn't have asked for better advertising. That guy is nuking Twitter single-handedly while putting a price tag on social media companies that never had a price tag, which is just more beneficial to Truth Social. And now the haters are coming out and saying, well, True Social is still going to fail, even though now it's a success because, you know, it's associated with Donald Trump, as if that's ever been uh, a, an association that President Trump has had to uh, endure in the business sector. I mean, the guy has just killed it. And why would you expect him to fail? But it's been fun for me personally, because uh, the social media things was brand new to me. And I thought, you know, I'll get on there and like maybe truth once a week or something. And uh, it's turned into a pretty big avalanche of just getting information out there, which I find useful and having people look at it and digest it and put it out in their own form. That's the whole point, right? You're not supposed to just agree with everything that's out there. So I think it's the best platform. I'm probably biased. I think I, I have to say that, but I'd say that anyway. Um, and uh, I was talking to the boss about it last week or the other week, and we were on the golf course with uh, my new best friend, Jason Aldean. And uh, we took a, <laughs> we took a photo and we dropped that on truth and on his account and it exploded. So I think we're getting there. It's my way of egging him to, we need him to do more truth, but it's coming. No, it certainly is. And you know, as the, as president Trump gets his opinion out there and, and wants to really get his message across, it's going to be out there. It's awesome to see Jason on there as well. I'm a huge fan. And, uh, no, it's been good. I'm really happy with it. I'm kind of like you. At the end of the day, like social media is kind of what drives the narrative that helps get things like our show. We're unsyndicated. We're grassroots. We do it all of ourselves. Mm-hmm. If we don't self-advertise uh, in a non-monetary fashion, then no one's going to know we're out here, regardless of the guest list or whatever. Uh, you know, yeah. some, some weeks when you're tired, you, the numbers just don't hit when you don't go out there and pump it. But if I had to not do it, I would certainly either hire somebody or just do away with social media altogether. But it's been awesome because, like you said, you know, we're on there, and then all of a sudden I'll go through our notifications and I'll see, like, Devin Nunes liked one of our posts, Cash Patel liked yeah. one of our posts. I'm like, oh, they actually see it, and they're engaging. No, so. no, we read it. It's not like a computer or machine. We're like, Devin and I are talking about it, and we're like, yeah, let's retruth that. That's good stuff. Those guys have a kick-ass show. Yeah, we have we have three out of four red checks on the uh, Verify Your Twitter so no one sees it on there. So the only reason I go in on Twitter, honestly, is to just ratio people's comments with memes. Um, <laughs> I know you mentioned the midterms, uh, and, and so did I. What's some of the stuff you're working on in regards to that? We know we know your great friend Adam Lexalt is running in Nevada. Uh, we're very close to that campaign and Adam as well. He's been on the show several times. We love him. We love what he's doing. We have 100% faith in him flipping the Senate over to the Republican side. And uh, he's just been doing an amazing job. But what are other some what are some of the other races you're looking at? 
Yeah. So look, I mean, in terms of our perspective, I think the midterms, we're going to win the house, we're going to win the Senate, but it's more than just that. We got a, we got a lot of good governor's races going on. We got a lot of good state AG races going on and, you know, we're running, you know, the boss is running candidates who voted against him and, or, and, or who voted to basically take down the Trump agenda that was winning. So, you know, individuals like Harriet Hagelman in Wyoming, great congressional candidate who's going to dethrone Liz Cheney. And we got Kelly Chewbacca in Alaska running for Senate who's going to take out Murkowski and the likes of Kerry Lake, who's running for governor in Arizona. And as you said, Adam Laxalt and so many other great candidates, are, you know, Joe Kent in Washington state. And we got a couple of great races down in Florida. And of course, Georgia, which is just like Oof. the epicenter for uh, insanity right now. But if we can pull off uh, that gubernatorial race and Herschel Walker can swing the Senate, uh, those are going to be huge, huge pickups. And we also got Ted Budd in North Carolina uh, running for Senate. We need that one. So, you know, there's a possibility for a lot of more pickups than people are giving it credit for. And here's the thing, you know, I talked to President Trump about it. You know, he hasn't even really started hitting the road yet. Nope. You know, he's going to start going nuts right about, oh, I'd say, you know, in the next week or two. Yeah. And then it's game on, you know, it's game on till literally the midterms and, you know, not just the rallies, but just engagements that myself and guys like Rick Grinnell and Pam Bondi and others will be at um, as surrogates for the president because you got to win. You, people, people, I think now after the last election realize it's not just House seats and Senate seats, it's governorships, it's state AGs, it's state secretaries of state. Um, every one of those state seats matters and we got to win them all. Shit, we've seen Donald Trump endorse uh, mayors and land surveyors in some states. I mean, right? it, the jobs are really <laughs> that important. You know, when it comes to like Southwest Texas and stuff, you want to get in there and, and endorse as many mayors and land surveyors as you can. Yeah. Those are the guys that are going to be fighting and they lead all the way up to those eventual uh, House and Senate seats. How was that golf outing you guys had the other week? We know you you, you frequently see 45 and uh, it looked like you guys were having a blast out there. You got any, uh, good, got any good stories from the Greens for us? Uh, I got a lot of good stories for you guys and us when we're slamming PBRs. Let's see what I can share with the public here. Uh, look, you know, that it's always a blast to spend time with the, with the president. And it's amazing to see how much energy he has to, to a play the game of golf at the level he plays it at, but then also just get work done. He was working like half the time on the golf course that we were out there. Incredible. And it, it's, it really is just incredible. He's, he's just like, let's do this. Let's do this. You know, we were talking about John Durham a lot. We we're talking about, you know, things that we talked about on the show earlier. And, um, you know, of course, he's talking to me about, so do you think we should run again? And, I'm, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm not going to give you the answer to that question, but uh, it, it, I'll tell you, it was discussed uh, heavily and there was a big smile on his face. So um, I think he's he's going to be swinging pretty hard and he may surprise some people. Um with what's next and, and the timing of it. But, um, you know, I'll leave that to the boss, but, uh, anytime down there is fun. I think you guys should try to probably do a live show for maybe Bedminster this summer. We got to get you synced up there. That'd be some fun. You know, I was going to ask, I was going to try and find an in, but you gave it to us. So, so far let's set up our apparatus of who we got working for us. We're, we've got like the Charlie meme where Donald Trump's in the middle and every single yeah. person in his, you guys are all spider webbed right back to him. So Christina, Bob, you know, she's the attorney for save America. Now she's has got FaceTime with him a couple days a week. She's pushing for us a little bit. We had Boris Epstein on the other day, and uh, he's a good friend of the show. He's been on a couple of times. He's going to start doing like a monthly with us and kind of uh, he's helped us get connected to a lot of the campaigns who we had difficulty to because they kind of set up walls against non-syndicated programs. But it's been great having a relationship with him. And he asked us, oh, have you had Donald Trump on the show? Like casually, we're like, uh, no. 
<laughs> yeah, we we have we keep having to reschedule on them. You know, it's unfortunate. Yeah, you got your schedule's so busy. Yeah, it's so, it's so weird. It. Yeah, yeah, I know. We're on call for him twenty four seven. But it's good to hear that you'd be willing to give us a little nudge next time. Maybe you're no, no, I, I got I got an even better idea. I'm gonna we'll do a live podcast with me and you guys at Bedminster this summer, and we'll have the boss do a drive by. Nice. Um, other people can talk about making it happen. I'll just go and deliver for you guys. And I just got told from Truth Social that you guys are a verified red check mark as of now. Nice. Wow. We're almost famous, like you are in in, in theory. So, <laughs> last thing I want to it is a theory. Is- it's a theory. It's not a reality. No. Okay. We're we're, <laughs> we're eventually going to get to Amanda because she's one of our, all of our favorites. Uh, <laughs> you don't know how many people are wanting Cash Patel, Amanda Milius too. I've already asked her to, and she's like, yes. But you don't understand how I work. So I was on the show, and I'm so busy. Like, I'll be back in a couple months. She's like, if it's with cash, it just happens that way. We'll figure it out. Because um, we just had a great time. That was one of our all-time. That was a down. great time show. So, but I want to start even before that. So Eric Greitens, who's running an amazing campaign in Missouri, uh, he's been out there. You know, Kimberly Guilfoyle runs his campaign on the national mm-hmm. level, and then he's been doing some barnstorming with uh Donald Trump Jr. I think they're trying to kind of nudge the big guy for an endorsement there. We hope he gets it because he's had to overcome a lot of stuff all the way back from mm-hmm. his, when he was the governor. So we talked about, you know, all the stuff that's going on legally and how he's overcome all of it. And he's like, yeah, man, it would be it would make a great movie. So then we made a joke about Amanda Milius. He's like, you want to know what? I listened to your podcast and you guys had Cash Patel <laughs> in there and you were talking about making all these movies. I said, yeah, it'd be great to have the Eric Greitens story. And, uh, you know, we'll go all the way back to your Navy SEALs day and, and Cash Patel could play a live action version of you. And he's like, <laughs> he's like, I'd allow it. We'd, we'd have to go to a really legit kit to wear. But, you know, none of that stuff you buy off Amazon and Condor yeah. stuff. But <laughs> yeah, that would actually be good. So I'm 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 texting you right now, Cash. Uh, so we made a meme. It's a good one. Uh, so Amanda yeah. was talking the other day. You know how she loves Rome and she wants Rome to come back. And oh, she's yeah. kind of figuring out a way to do that. So somebody's like, what if you did like an Old Testament version movie and just made it like Amanda John Millius style? And she's like, you know what? I would bring back the entire cast of Rome to do it. So oh, my God. Of, cor- of course, all I want to do is get. Who, who made that? Uh, right Wing Savages, one of our great friends of the show, one of the meme makers that's up God. there with like grand old memes and all those guys. So anyways, uh, I, I wanted to ratio her comments right away. So I was like second or third in there. I said, Cash Patel has to play Moses. And then she went and retweeted it and all over the place. So then I went and re-ratioed my old comment with that picture. I said, don't worry, we're already working on marketing. So Nice. Yeah, it's, uh, I love it. So, yeah, you know, you're working to get us an interview with, with Donald Trump eventually, and we're working to get you in some live-action movies from any, ranging from anywhere of biblical figures all the way down to Eric Greitens. Which That's is, actually a quid pro quo I can advertise on. I'm good with that. It's amazing. And uh, you know what is amazing? Every time you join us on the show, Cash, you're going to be busy the next couple of weeks. You already talked about your podcast. Uh, you got the website, Fight With Cash. We're linking everything in the show description today, including your true social handle. But why don't you tell our listenership everywhere they could find you? Uh, yeah, the only, well, two places, right? At Cash on Truth Social and FightWithCash.com. If your audience is out there, you know, go to FightWithCash.com with a K. Sign up for the free newsletter. Tons of content that I put out for totally nothing. Uh, our foundation is kicking butt. We're raising money. We're suing people. Uh, we're that have uh, we're suing on behalf of people who've been defamed, and we're paying for their lawsuits. We got the stories. We got the updates on FightWithCash.com. It's an expensive venture, but it's worth it because 
great guys like Danny and company have been just defamed mercilessly by left-wing hacks and they should have their day in court. Everybody should. So we've got multiple lawsuits going and coming. We've got more going, more coming. And uh, you can find me at Truth Social or on Truth Social at Cash and FightWithCash.com. And you guys should also put out a truth that I'll probably read truth to say, just got verified, big red check, no big deal. I'm going to have to put And then you should put up that photo of the Moses in me, and I'll definitely read truth it because that's hilarious. <laughs> When, when we ask Cash to let us go into the verification, this is what happens. Nice. Here we are. I will definitely be doing that. This is the former chief of staff to the DOD, special assistant to 45, great friend of both Donald Trump and Steak for Breakfast. Oh, before I cut, Cash, can we get your full and total endorsement of Steak for Breakfast? We didn't get it last time you were on with Amanda. She said, I have to bug you for it. What? Steak for Breakfast has my complete endorsement. You guys are one of the best podcast shows in the world. I don't know why everybody else isn't on your show, but I do want to highlight that I beat all the other guys to your show. So just remind those winners that are going to Congress that you've been slowly rolling in there that I beat them. If you want to tell Harriet Hagman, Kelly Chewbacca, and Rick Canale that, we'd love to have I'll all, tell all that. I'll actually I'll specifically tell them to their faces that they need to get on the show. <laughs> He's the one and only Cash Patel. Thanks for coming on Steak for Breakfast today. Thanks, guys. Have a good one. Take care. All right. Joining us next on the show today, he is a bold conservative running to unite Georgia. Trump endorsed former senator of the great state. David Perdue, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Ron, it's great to be here, man. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure, sir. How are things going with you? Well, I mean, we're in the middle of a dogfight here to save our state. Um, I had no intention of running for governor after the debacle of 2020 when our governor caved into Stacey Abrams and let the radical left uh, steal these elections in Georgia. But um, I just couldn't see how he would unite the party and be able to beat Stacey Abrams. So when she got in the race, I decided to run. And since then, boy, I mean, we've been on the road 24 seven. Um, there's a huge gap between what we've been seeing on the road from people who are demanding change and the polls, frankly. So we're very excited. Early voting started a week ago, uh, about 150,000 through yesterday have already voted. So it's very encouraging that the people who supported Trump and the people who are supporting me are coming out early, which is very, very encouraging. Yeah, we did see that. There was a recent poll that came out that says there, there was a quite a sizable bump in the uh, Republican voter turnout for early voting, which I thought was a great thing. Uh, you know, after what happened in 2020, we'll touch on that in a bit. I think there's a lot of concerns going on, uh, both with the election and since the Biden administration took over. We've seen the country, well, as President Trump puts it, go to hell real fast. And uh, here we are. We're, like you said, we're in a dogfight in Georgia. We're in a dogfight across the country right now uh, trying to get America first candidates in there. And, and Donald Trump has anointed you is one and we're glad to be sitting down with you so good to hear that early voting is looking good uh, i want to jump into your campaign platform though how are some of the things that you're pushing out on that america first agenda really resonating and probably being really refreshing with the uh men and women of georgia well the first thing that i've said is we want the laws to be enforced uh, they have not enforced voting laws here in more than a decade our current governor the guy i'm running against was secretary of state for nine years my cousin appointed him, by the way, uh, and as governor for four years. And in that entire period of time, they've not prosecuted anybody for voter fraud. And we know the evidence in 2020 in Georgia is extremely compelling. We had a judge rule that it was compelling and actually ruled to unseal the ballots. I'm in a court case with uh, Fulton County right now, our largest county in Atlanta, uh, about this. So the first thing people want is to have their voting laws uh, enforced. 
The second thing is they want to have their safety uh, assured by the governor. Their personal safety is at risk in Georgia. Atlanta now has the highest murder rate in the country. Rape and murder this year alone are up 60%. We have more illegals in Georgia, Ron, than, than Arizona, if you can believe that. And at the same time, our governor has allowed these five cities, to de- our five major cities, to defund the police to a point where we're short 1,200 police officers in this state. Nobody was talking about that until I got in the race. The third thing is they want to get the woke mob out of our schools from indoctrinating our kids. And lastly, they want to get the economy going again. Uh, we saw a false deal done, uh, you know, that came out last week where the governor is giving George Soros company, Rivian from California, uh, $1.5 billion for, two th- for uh, uh, 7,000 jobs, which is $200,000 a job. And then Ford company, Ford Motor Company this week announced that they're coming out of that. So what I'm proposing is I want to get rid of the state income tax to help us make a better uh, or be more attractive uh, for companies seeking to relocate to this highly productive Southeast part of the United States. Yeah. You you know, you mentioned a lot of that stuff. You got Soros money coming in, you got elections that, you know, are, are unresolved. There's so much stuff that went on. There's a lot of people who go out there and they talk speculatory stuff. They, you know, overwhelming voter fraud, this, that, and the other thing. But when you just look at like the logistical facts, we've talked about this with so many of our guests who, who find election integrity to be an important thing. First of all, there was that Time Magazine article, which basically was the blueprint for how things went down on a nationwide scale. Then you look at cities, let's just say Atlanta, where there are historical records of voter frauds going on down there. Most of the voting stuff is run by, you know, the, the Democrat Party. They're very non-inclusive to Republican poll watchers and stuff like that. So there's, you know, historical stuff that have already always contributed to it. Then you have the Dinesh D'Souza documentary that's come out lately. I watched it. Very compelling. I think it's an added element to the whole thing. And then the free-for-all mail-in ballots that they use under the guise of COVID. I think all of those things contributed to, which historically has been a red state and and, and very pro-Trump. I mean, every time he goes there, the crowds are massive. The reception is massive. And uh, MAGA is alive and well down there. But then you just didn't see it resonate into the elections in 2020, both in the presidential one and then in the two uh, Senate runoffs, which you just happen to be a part of. So I think it's really good that you're championing that. We know there's a lot of people working hard down there. we got Heather Mullins, Mike Lindell, uh, Boris Epstein's down there all doing stuff. And then you talk about that judge, Judge Amaro. He's been, you know, doing the best that he can legally without all the, the big D.C. money guys going down there and trying to just slow the process down. Well, the truth is, Ron, you have the national media, the fake news, as Trump calls it, has already ordained that nothing happened. That You hear Biden talking about it was the most secure elections in our history. That's just nonsense. Nobody has disproved fraud. Uh, the problem is these courts around the country in 62 cases dismiss these cases, not because of a lack of evidence, but because of procedural issues. They said voters don't have legal standing. That happened in our state. So what I've done is pick that case up. I want a judge to tell me as a candidate that I didn't have legal standing. Uh, and, and then if I do get legal standing, we will unseal these bad. But let me summarize the evidence here. There is hard evidence. This is indisputable, irrefutable evidence of fraudulent ballots in Fulton County. This is just one county, by the way. Then we saw video evidence of running these ballots um, illegally, redundantly. They closed down a voting center uh, illegally that night. It took three days to finally get the final answer. The third thing is there were signature variances. In DeKalb County, only nine absentee ballots were rejected because of a bad signature match. Out of 136,000 absentee ballots, in Fulton County, only 10 were rejected out of 147,000. And then we had 161 missing batches. These are 100 ballots per batch in Fulton County, and nobody's explained that. And then lastly, you see this evidence in the Secretary of State's own website 
of errors, 36 errors in Fulton County alone. The top two are 22,000 too many votes for Biden. These have already been documented. They're irrefutable. We're not trying to change the outcome of an election. What President Trump and I are trying to do is find out who broke the law in Georgia and other states and bring them to justice. You see the D'Souza movie, 2,000 Mules. Thank God they did that. But yeah. this evidence has been out there since May of last year. The uh, True the Vote people, uh, they presented that to me in May of last year. They presented it to our governor and the head of our Georgia Bureau of Investigation, and they have not done anything with it. As a matter of fact, they have been uh, suppressing that evidence for a year now and are continuing to do that by not investigating it. So that's what we're up against here in Georgia's number one issue in this state's race for governor. Sure, I think it definitely is, and it's one that still resonates at a you know, national level when you talk about some of those blue wall states. And then there was the randoms, the Arizonas, the Nevadas of the world that uh, all seem to have the same kind of weird things that all you know, collaborated to uh, Joe Biden winning at, at random times of the night or several days later. And uh, we definitely need to get to the bottom of it. I think the first state that can get it through a court is going to set the precedent for the rest of the country. And it's good to see that you, you know, as a candidate then, and even as a candidate now with the potential to be governor come here in November, I, I think it would be something great to uh, have Georgia be at the forefront of that as they've been since the beginning. Well, we, we uncovered this early. Uh, there's a, a lawyer here named Bob Cheely, who is my lawyer in this case. He, he represented the, the voters in that case in Fulton County. But remember this, we, we're only taking this to court in one county. There are several counties around. Uh, our governor let a consent decree go through that eliminated all voter ID on absentee ballots. He allowed seven and a half million ballots to be mailed out. The, the drop boxes, which are illegal, they allowed that. And they allowed money to go straight to to election board county election boards and that allowed zuckerberg to put 55 yep. million dollars in here that have allowed things like mobile voting buses with no chain of custody i mean it was just a free-for-all here in georgia and our governor let it happen that's why uh he has split the state that's why i'm running and uh you know we're going to give the republican uh, base here a choice about who they want to see run against stacy abrams i just don't see how our governor can pull together regular republicans the new women in the suburbs and the MAGA voter. He just can't do it. He's been kicking sand in the president's face for the last two years. I don't see how he can get those voters out. Yeah, there's just no way that MAGA is ever going to go back and, and cuddle up to, to Governor Kemp. It's just not going to happen. Senator, I want to touch on one of the biggest pillars of your campaign. I've seen you really talking about it because it's a hot national issue right now as we're waiting for the final decision to come on. You're running on a big pro-life uh, campaign. You know, we have the verdict of Roe v. Wade uh, looking to be overturned here any day now, uh, maybe even, you know, by this Friday, I heard. And uh, it's something that's really resonated with not only the MAGA base, but most of the men and women of Georgia. I've seen a lot of polling out now. It's between high 60s and mid 70s percent as, you know, the, the American population, all demographics of voters feel that this is a, a something that should be done and it really doesn't factor into anything regarding the midterm. So except for the fact that if you're pro-life, it's good. Uh, how, how's that been going for you? Well, I didn't do this as a political uh, maneuver, uh, Ron. I, you know, my wife and I have been involved in this this uh, issue all our, our lives. I mean, crisis pregnancy centers and all that. But We've been waiting since 1973, 49 years yeah. to see this uh, outrageous ruling overturned. Even Justice Ginsburg back in the 90s, before she was a Supreme Court justice, said publicly that the Roe v. Wade ruling was, it was too far overreaching. It was draconian. She, in her words, it was more draconian than any of the laws over in Europe, which were socialist countries by and large. And she said one day it would be overturned. And so here we are now with a very courageous court, by the way, uh, consisting of at least three uh, Supreme Court justices nominated by Donald Trump and confirmed by the United States Senate once I was up there that really allowed this to finally get corrected. 
I want Georgia to be the safest place in the country for the unborn, and we want to protect life here at all costs. I've even called out that I said perfectly, the voters need to know where I am on this thing. I said, if I'm governor, if when it came down, I would call for a special session of the General Assembly immediately and ask them to put it in the law, codify this in law, in state law, to uh, ban abortions. I've called on our governor to do the same thing. So far, he's basically saying he wants to keep his powder dry. Yep. So this is what he's done on crime and several other issues. I just don't think that's acceptable anymore. You're either going to stand up and fight for life or you're not. No, when you see uh, you know, people early, usually Joe Manchin, he's like an 11th hour guy. So is Kristen Cinema. They've historically been as their time in the Senate to jump off of these things after backroom deliberations and stuff. They're jumping off of this way early, uh, way ahead of Chuck Schumer trying to corner them and, and try to get them to get in there for that vote to codify it at a national level. And it's really amazing to see that such a strong pro-life uh, candidate who's been one since day one uh, is out there and, and running on something that's so important right now. It's just, it's time. I mean, the things that we do in this country and the stuff that circulates around abortion, there is that fraction of a 1% where at times someone might think it's appropriate, but you know, we're pro-life here on Steak for Breakfast and uh, we're glad to see that there's someone running for a governorship right now. It's the same way too. Um, Governor, next thing I want to touch on, you just got into that Soros money coming into the state. Now that, that should be a huge issue and even bigger red flag, not only to the MAGA base, but the hardworking blue collar class there in Georgia. You want to tell our listenership a little bit more about that? Well, I do. I mean, this is nothing but a political ploy by a very desperate governor who's trying to keep his job at all costs. He's been in elected office for 20 years and he just thinks he's entitled to that. And he's throwing around a lot of taxpayer money. Let me give your viewers and listeners a a little detail around this. I called this out in December and I asked the governor to tell us then how much was he giving this company called Rivian out of California, who has never produced a commercial vehicle yet, had to come to Georgia. Now they said they're going to bring 7,000 jobs. That looks real good in a political headline. The problem is he never talked to the local people. That was number one. They didn't get any buy-in of this. Second, he saw he the state purchased 2,000 acres from seven of his buddies uh, at the cost of $125 million. That's $60,000 an acre. Now, some of the San Diego property out there may sell for that in downtown <laughs> San Diego, but not in rural Georgia. That's no. about six to seven times what land cost is here. So that's all a cronyism deal. It stinks. And then the third thing is I kept telling him, asking the governor to tell us how much of our taxpayer money was he getting. He wouldn't give that out until the day after our last debate a week ago, uh, I even called it out in the debate. He wouldn't give us the answer then. The day after the last debate, he comes clean and says, it's not three or $400 million, which it was when Kia came 20 years ago. It's $1.5 billion. Now, as a business guy, yes, that's right, Ron, $1.5 billion. I mean, this is, there's no way this can have an economic return for Georgia taxpayers. It's outrageous. It may be one of the worst, worst deals I've seen in my, my business career, frankly. And I'm, I'm continuing to call it out. Now we see Ford Motor Company actually withdrawing as an investor. And so they, they actually said in their words, they said, because it's not going, their business plan is not viable. Now that just tells me that this is what happens when amateurs like our governor try to get into big leagues and play on this high level of economic growth uh, and, and just screw up like that. It's taxpayer money of Georgia. That's why I was so inflamed about this early. 
Yeah, it just seems to be a huge red flag, and, and it looks like a desperate measure of someone who knows at the end of the day they just don't match up with you on the big issues that really affect the people that live there. At the end, It's hurting them at the end of the day, and it, it's, it's not lucrative for the state, and there's so many other things you could do without that money and where it's coming from uh, that would help make Georgia great again. So it's good to see that you uh, have had those receipts and you're calling them out on it, and even so, so for the fact that big corporations like Ford are saying, hey, you want to know what? This this doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us in dollars and cents, and we just don't we don't see that happening. Even Donald Trump in his economic agenda that turned our country around, gave us the best economic turnaround in U.S. history, focused on small business. I mean, imagine if we took a billion and a half dollars in Georgia and focused on small business, how many jobs we could create. 80, something like 80 percent of the people who work in Georgia work with small businesses. Frankly, this governor's ignored them uh, trying to get the big headlines from these big California corporations. The other punchline I didn't give you is that George Soros is one of the biggest investors in, um, in the Rivian company. And he has lost 75% of his investment uh, because Ford is backing out of that deal. It's a terrible deal for the state. And I wish there was some way we could get out of it. Well, I, uh, hopefully, once you get in there as governor, you'll figure out a way to uh, get that done 100%. Senator, the southwest border is something that all encompasses the United States now. Uh, every state is a border state. You've already touched on the numbers of illegals. It seems now that every month we're getting more than the population of Atlanta. That's one of the other uh, stats that I saw recently crossing across our border. They're not getting screened. They're not getting vetted. They're not getting whatever. And they're just being released and shipped all over the country, which is hurting everything. Like the casual listener might not understand, but people who are tuned into the MAGA base, they know it hurts the economy. It hurts jobs. It hurts health care. It hurts your kids' education when these kids are infused into you know general ed public schools and they have – uh, things that prevent them from learning the same way that people who have lived in this country the whole time. And Joe Biden it has done nothing but just open the floodgates. And you saw that uh, over the last two weeks when Alejandro Mayorkas was up for the uh, committee budget hearings. And he was just taken to task. He had no answers. It was constant deflection and pro- projection of, of, you know, saying that you have operational control of this border is probably one of the biggest lies I've ever heard in my life in politics. And there's been some whoppers over the course of the, you know, the the time that this country has been one. I know you've been down there. I know when you were a Senator, you, you know, you were involved in border security stuff and you care about the people in Georgia and how just a wide open border affects them. What's some of the things you're bringing to the platform right now that, that you're going to do as governor to help us lock down this border? Well, the first thing is uh, it is a national crisis. It was caused by Joe Biden. He told us he was going to do it, and he did it. Two million illegals come across that border just in one year last year, and it's even up from that this year. This is uh, We don't know who's coming in. That's the other problem. We, As I said, we have more illegals in Georgia now than Arizona, and our governors turned a blind eye. What I would do immediately is I would call those governors and make available to them our National Guard here. I think the state of Arizona, their governor has actually even said, you know, in the absence of any federal help, Uh, They're going to step in there and and control their border themselves. And I applaud that. But it shouldn't come to that. We should be raising hell with the people in Washington right now, our senators and reps and everybody else. We should be the ones marching on the Capitol, making sure that, uh, you know, this gets taken care of. This is a crisis. The other thing is I would I would withhold state money from our major cities here who are basically supporting the sanctuary city uh, platform and defunding the police. There are things a governor can do to help rebuild our police force. As I said, we're short 1,200 police officers in our five major cities. We also have, in Florida, 70% of their counties have a written agreement with ICE and uh, to detect and deport illegal immigrants, uh, particularly criminals. 
In Georgia, only 3% of our counties, on our governor's watch, only 3% of our counties have an agreement with ICE. I would work with our counties and encourage them all, all 159, to sign this agreement with ICE and get active about the detection and the deportation of illegal criminals in our state. Yeah, that's uh, some good policies right there that would help make Georgia safe again. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, there's a lot of great governors out there running right now. We've got Dan Cox in Maryland, Tudor Dixon, Michigan, Carrie Lake, of course, in Arizona, who's championing a lot of the same policies. And is going to see all you guys after the midterm elections coordinate together and uh, lock down your states and make it safe for the people to be able to walk the streets and go to school and be able to get accessible health care when their hospitals aren't overwhelmed. It's not just happening in South Texas and Arizona anymore, people. It's happening all over the country. And, uh, you know, it, it's people like Senator Purdue right here who's running to be Governor, that's going to take care of that. Um, I think, well, you had some debates. A lot of the pundits said you were the clear winner of them, and then you had a massive uh, Save America rally. Uh, Donald Trump was there, and some of the other great candidates that are running in the state, Herschel Walker, who was on the show with us last week, he's running an amazing campaign there in Georgia as well. How was that whole experience going? I mean, you were really able to take uh, Governor Kemp to task on a lot of the things that he's just been absolutely flat out wrong on. And then you, you got to celebrate it with a, with a massive Trump rally where president Trump came down and stumped for you. Well, first of all, you can't underestimate the, the impact of Donald Trump's endorsement in the state of Georgia. He's True. probably more popular in Georgia than any other state. And the reason is this is a very practical state. Agriculture is half of our state business and our economy. And Donald Trump did everything for our farmers, got a trade deal, to $60 billion or more ag exports uh, into China to try to help correct that situation. Now, they got disaster relief for our farmers. I mean, he brought military. Uh, we, we brought the head of the cyber, the Army, the Global Army Cyber Headquarters is now in Augusta, Georgia, and the Air Forces and the whole DOD, Department of Defense uh, Battle Management System, the Advanced Battle Management System is headquartered right here in Robbins Air Force Base. So Donald Trump did a lot for our state. People know that. And, uh, and he came to commerce, had tens of thousands of people up there. He's done a teller rally. We had tens of thousands of people on that. And early voting indicates that these are MAGA voters uh, coming out for him. But let me remind uh, everybody what's at stake here in Georgia. If you want a Republican conservative in the White House in 24 and you want to get the Senate majority back, we've got to win this governor's job. And our current governor has done nothing to unite the party. He denied that we had a clean, that, that we had any problems in our election. He is, with regard to crime, said he wants to keep his uh, powder dry. Uh, he actually said, with regard to elections, you know, what's the problem? You know, we, we've always had fraud in our elections. He's never enforced the law, and we've never had a prosecution. We, as I sit here today, we don't have a prosecution at all from the 2020 uh, illegal activity that happened. So what we're fighting here in Georgia is the front line against the Democrat platform. If they win in Georgia, it's a tipping point, just like it was for the Senate majority. I hate to be the guy in the middle of it. But in 2020, that my seat determined the majority yep. or, or broke it even, really, and, and uh, lost us the majority in the Senate and really caused a lot of this stuff. And I put that at the feet of, uh, of Brian Kemp, our governor, that, who allowed the election to be stolen. And uh, I think Trump's being vindicated, frankly. He, he was vindicated about the Russia hoax, about the Hillary emails, about the Hunter Biden stuff. I mean, he's being vindicated about all this now. And he's going to eventually be vindicated about what he said about these elections as well, particularly here in Georgia, where I know what the evidence looks like. Sure. When you're looking at just that track record off the back, 57 and one through, I think, four or five primaries right now. I mean, you just can't beat that. Boris was on the show with us yesterday and he said he's never seen someone who came from outside of the arena politics come in and be able to put his fingers on the pulse and just be 
so right in so many different occasions. It might not always come out the right way, but at the end of the, <laughs> the, at the end of the day, it's the decisions that really uh, that he makes that have, that have been consequential for our country and and really benefited. Uh, listen, Trump era policies. For as much as people are trying to erase that in the Biden administration, there's a lot of people in this country right now, not just the base, the the the, the loud majority now that really miss those full shelves, low gas prices, just things that that were accessible, a secure border, uh, not trying to get involved in foreign wars like all the rhinos in Washington, D.C. are right now. And, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff is wrapped up into your governor campaign. And uh, we're just proud to support you, which is what I want to uh, wrap it up on. Right now, you want to make the case. You already laid it out there pretty good. You versus Brian Kemp. It's coming down to the date. I believe May 24th is when it's when it's going down. That's correct, Ron. The early voting started uh, last week. Yep. We've had 150,000 people or so vote through yesterday. Uh, as I said, about half of those did not vote in the 18 primary. That's very encouraging for us. And so May 24th is election day. I'm encouraging everybody to get out and vote early. What's at stake here is the future of our country. Our current governor has divided our party and cannot win in November against Stacey Abrams. If Stacey Abrams wins this governor's job, we will not put a Republican in the White House in 24. And, oh, by the way, she very well might be the Democrat candidate for president in 24, if not then, certainly 28. All she wants is to run for president. She doesn't care anything about Georgia. And the reason I got in this race is we're, by God, going to stop her right here in Georgia. Yeah, the only president I ever want to see Stacey Abrams being is when she dressed up for Star Trek and she was the president of Earth <laughs> on a recent episode there. I saw everybody making fun of it on the Internet. Um, Senator, let's we're going to wrap it up right here. Well, all I want to do, as much national listening audience for Steak for Breakfast, how can they help your campaign, your campaign website, your social media? Let's get that money pouring in. If you're in the great state of Georgia and you've already voted, get connected to the campaign. Get out there knocking on doors, hanging up signs, whatever he needs. Let's hear it. Well, Ron, thank you for having me. Yeah, we are in a desperate situation here. I'm running against an incumbent governor. He's outspending us five or six to one. Uh, VotePurdue.com is the way people can get online and help us. Any contribution will be greatly appreciated and well put to use. Uh, and then if you're in the state, if you have voted, then get somebody else to go vote too. And if you haven't voted, by all means, get out and vote early. VotePurdue.com. Ron, thank you very much. I appreciate what you guys do out there. We're fighting hard here in Georgia for all of us. We know you are, Senator, and we're really glad to have finally been able to sit down with you. This is the former senator of Georgia who's running an America First gubernatorial race there in the battleground state. David Perdue, thanks for joining us on Steak for Breakfast today. Thanks, Ron. Take care. Well, what'd you think? Always a blast having cash on the show. I mean, we we drink beers long distance. It's going to be more fun drinking beers together, but he's just... He's just a regular guy yeah. with some really high security level clearances <laughs> that's fighting really hard on behalf of the uh, American people and occasionally golfing with Donald Trump. So um, looking forward to that, looking forward to sitting down with him at Bedminster Golf Club later this summer, apparently. And I have no interest in learning how to play golf, but I guess I'll have to do it. I have no interest in flying to New Jersey, but if we're going to listen, he said he's going to make a drive by happen. So I guess that's where we'll be getting our first Trump interview. Yep. Sweet. Don't hate it. Um, and then, you know, you want to talk about Senator Purdue. He's running for the governor. Now, they have a runoff election, so all we have to do is get Brian Kemp not to 50% in that state. Listen, over the past week, you've had the Bushes. You've had Chris Christie. You've had Governor Ducey all out there stumping for Brian Kemp. People that live in Georgia that listen to this show, that's all you need to know. This is literally one of the biggest fights in the country. For as much as the Senate race in Pennsylvania, which we touched on extensively last week with with Boris, 
and we're not going to touch on too much today. That race in, for governor in Georgia is just as equal, if not more important. And if you're in that state, you need to make sure you get out there and get your vote counted. They're in early voting now. They have the primary, I believe, on the, I'm looking at that, it's so far away and so small, 17th? or No, the yeah, 24th. Is, is when they're wrapping it up there in Georgia. And we really need to get out there and make sure that Brian Kemp doesn't get 50%. I believe with the five people that are running in that gubernatorial race right now, if we can get the other three out of there and it, it's going to be Senator Purdue and, and Governor Kemp in a head-to-head matchup, that's when you'll see Donald Trump really get out there. We'll have some rallies. You'll have Herschel Walker running around um, and everybody else. They've got so many great people that were connected to that Trump administration running in races down there. You've got uh, Patrick Witt. You've got Jake Evans etc. All we need to do is keep Brian Kemp under 50% in, in this primary right now, and I think we'll be able to uh, to take care of that. So it was good to talk to Senator Purdue for the first time. We'll get him back after the primary before the runoff, and uh, you want to know what? The guy's a fighter. Mm-hmm. It took him a little while to warm up to election integrity, but he spent the majority of the interview circling back to it and touching on it, because it is a huge thing, and George is the biggest shit show in the fucking whole election cycle uh, between Kemp and Raffensperger that, you know, I hope they wrap it up. Talking about some domestic issues now as we jump into the news. Um, we all know that the inflation is out of control. They were hoping that it was at, I believe it was 8.1% for the national average. And then on Monday, the news came out that it was going to be between 83 and 84 No surprise to me. Mm. Uh, in, in Southern California, where Noah and I live right now, we're, we're averaging at about 24% across the board when you combine all of the intangibles. And then I, I looked into it. They're around 19% in Nevada where Antoinette's at. Uh, totally, who has like the third highest gas prices only to like, I think, Hawaii and California in the entire country. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. (laughs) I I think I I filled up the last time my SUV 160 bucks. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I was talking to uh, Erica Knight, who's, you know, great friends of the show, friends with cash, works on the Adam Lexalt campaign, is the handler for Dr. Navarro. And, you know, she was saying, oh, all this stuff's coming up. Adam's so busy. You know, we're, we're focusing on getting him on TV a lot. Obviously, he's going to be on our show at some point in June, of course, uh, for a big update there before their primary. But um, I'm looking at the numbers. Adam Lexalt might win a Senate seat based off gas prices alone. Mm. It's literally that bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, well, you know, like when you go to a gas, gas station, you use your credit card or whatever, and then it, it cuts off at $75. Yeah. I did that the other day, and it got me, like, what, like 15, 16 gallons? And I was just like, well. It does that. I guess I'll drive around for another two days before I do it all yeah. over again. <laughs> you know, I traded in my truck for the Prius, like, uh, three years ago. And I, I really don't like it. I, I've always had a truck. I, I've never owned cars. And, uh, you know, every time I see, like, just a new anything, like the new Dodges or a Forerunner, I'm just always like, man, I really want to see myself in one of those. And I'll sometimes casually ask people like, Hey, how much is it anywhere between 150 Mm. and 200 bucks? Yeah. No, if I didn't have a motorcycle, the truck would be gone. Yeah. There are so many people committing uh, fraud right now by using their business cards as expenses for their personal vehicles all across the country. It's just, well, there's people siphoning gas from people's other people's cars. Yeah. (laughs) In my area, it's super safe. Like (laughs) never had a crime. And I'm hearing about like, people outside of my community because I'm gated and whatnot and it's hard to get in my spot I mean but we've had issues on and off like everyone else but like the neighbors surrounding us outside of our community are saying like people are stealing our fucking gas <laughs> I wake up in the morning and my tank is empty I'm like what are you talking about That's so crazy. like yeah it's gotta it, be disappointing it's, yeah. <laughs> oh my imagine imagine waking up and you're late for work and you see you have no gas yeah I, I'm down I'm down to my last uh five gallons of pre uh 
pre-gas hike mm, prices. Uh, reserves. Uh, well, yeah, I, yeah, I filled up all those gas tanks. <laughs> and I'm down to the last one. I'm like, man, I dumped, <laughs> I dumped a few gallons into my bike and then looked at the last oh, one sitting on my toolbox. I'm like, oh, that's a shame. Oh, gosh. Yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy. And when you talk about some of the stuff that's been going on lately in regards to that, we saw Joe Biden ended those uh, those Alaskan pipeline things today. I wrote it down earlier. Uh, there were, you know, the it was the like the protections to make it easier to get gas. Uh, it was like a, a longstanding deal that the government had with some of the, you know, things that get it to the public up there for a long time. And Biden ended like a 10, 10 year protection on it just randomly yesterday mm. uh, decided it wasn't wasn't green enough so that's helpful yes yeah. it, it certainly was the oil gas lease from alaska is what i was alluding to wait look, for wait for saki to go it's like well you know if you're how does that if you're having problems sense? with the gas prices you know, have a bowl of chili i've got, some, got a little surprise for you today <laughs> have, a, have a margarita and a bowl of chili today was her last oh, day you should have seen the uh goodbye breakfast the pictures from in there were bleak there was um very low energy sausages and what looked like powdered eggs on plate Ooh. Fruit, fruit looked a little dated they, they must have the dod make that breakfast and, and several <laughs> of the people that were eating had n95 masks on stop it that's just because of the taste of the food <sighs> who knows but we'll, we'll get into that trying to thing. suck some powdered eggs for an n95 our oh, favorite Lord. national treasure senator John Kennedy sat down with Jesse Waters yesterday to talk about Biden inflation. Let's hear him get into it. Louisiana Senator John Kennedy is a member of the Judiciary Committee, uh, who's probably an ultra MAGA senator, aren't you? <laughs> I uh, I listened to your to to your framing of the issue, Jesse. Uh, let me give you a couple of thoughts. I, I don't I don't mean to be uncharitable, but sometimes I think President Biden just doesn't eat enough fiber. Um, he, he, he said today, for example, as you pointed out, that he bears no responsibility whatsoever for inflation. Wow. Um, I think most Americans are thinking right. And Jimmy Jimmy Hoffa died of natural causes. Uh, also, the stripper really likes you. Um, Stop it. I mean, look, he, here's, the, here's the truth. Um, the truth is that the Biden administration just keeps kicking its own ass. The truth is, the Bi President Biden won the nomination because he promised not to be Bernie Sanders. Who has he tried to emulate? Bernie Sanders. Good point. After yeah. 14 months, we know that President Biden believes in bigger government, higher taxes, more spending, more debt, more regulation, a weaker military, open borders, taxpayer funding, funded abortion on demand, and turning cops into social workers. His energy policy, here's his energy policy, wind, solar, and wishful thinking. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he thinks he can run the greatest economy, the most powerful economy in all of human history without fossil fuels. And that's one of the main reasons why uh, the prices at the pump are, uh, are, are so high. And, and the American people see this. They see that after 14 months, um, nothing is built, nothing is back, and nothing is better. Mm -hmm. 
And, and that's why when you poll it, the American people say, well, the country is headed in the wrong direction. And Arguments? No. Yeah. <laughs> I, like the, I like the Bernie Sanders jab. Yeah. I am once again asking for your support. <laughs> you know. He's brilliant. No, he is. And it was good that um, he talked about uh, – running on his campaign platform in the beginning saying that he wasn't going to be Bernie Sanders. And, you know, some of the people who are really dialed in, let's just say Dr. Michael Savage. Even Bernie Sanders is offended. Yeah, well, he says, you know, from the beginning, Bernie Sanders has been running the country, and he's probably right. Yeah. There was a thing that started. Oh, no. Shortly thereafter. Uh, It heated up earlier in the week. So... You have this ultra MAGA thing, right? I guess dark MAGA and ultra. I asked if dark MAGA was still a thing. And yeah, which one's stronger? Well, Raheem retweeted that, so I guess we're still in dark MAGA. But ultra MAGA is also a thing. Mm. Um, like the age of ultra MAGA. There you go. <laughs> but a back and forth between Joe Biden and Rick Scott started over this whole narrative. Joe Biden got out and doing the stumping for, you know, he's going to solve inflation. And uh, Joe Biden made some comments. Well, first of all, he's been calling Rick Scott the senator from Wisconsin. He's got him confused with Ron Johnson. So Rick Scott has to correct him. But Biden referred to Donald Trump, and I don't know why he would do this in like a basket of deplorables moment earlier this week as the great MAGA king. (laughs) (laughs) I think I've I've been hearing about this. I didn't know it was uh, Biden that did that because I've been completely disconnected from politics for a bit. Here we go. Let's hear it. Stop. Hundred lies. Let's just take it from there. What? Um, <laughs> but yeah, so Rick Scott. What was he going to say? Like three percent? No, he was going to say by three hundred billion. How is what? that even even remotely factual? It's not. And how is that even something you could claim? They're claiming jobs for letting people go back to work after COVID. I know, but is that that's not deficit though. It's hilarious. Like you, <laughs> it's like. Listen, he they wasn't. We're so retarded. Do you, do you think the great MAGA king was on the teleprompter? What do you think his handlers were saying in his ear when he started mumbling that bullshit? Mm. <laughs> Rick Scott was quick to answer, though. At the beginning of this podcast, I made over 300,000 edits. You might have failed <laughs> by the end of it, so don't fuck around. Let's hear Rick Scott respond. <clears throat> In Joe Biden's economy, we have 8.5% inflation, which is a 40-year high. Mm -hmm. We've got the highest gas prices in the history of the country. We've got a labor participation rate that's low. We've got inflation that's going way faster than wage growth. We've got a GDP that's declining. Now we've got mortgage rates that are significantly up just just this year. Joe Biden gave a talk this morning, blamed everybody else on inflation. He took no responsibility and has no plan. I think what all Floridians know is this president has no ability to deal with inflation. In the private sector, when you have a CEO that doesn't have the ability to deal with something, 
They resign. They go on and do something else. Joe Biden ought to do the exact same thing, and that's the only way we're ever going to get inflation under control in this country. I agree with that. Yep. You could uh, see it in hopefully the future Senate Majority Leader's voice. I just don't. I just don't understand how he can make those claims. I know it's so crazy. It's like, like it gets more outlandish. Could you could you get could you get some like Ted Cruz like uh, visual aids to like hold up and show us exactly like <laughs> show me on the fucking pie chart where that's true. I know. I just think it's, I don't know. They're trying to make the midterm elections about Roe v. Wade. So yeah. that's already out of gas. No, it already is. And I'll get into that in one second. Just like my truck. Donald Trump responded, and this was via True Social yesterday. The great MAGA king is the name <laughs> Joe Biden now uses to describe me. Thank you, Joe. Make America great again. <laughs> like, do you think he got, he was authorized to say that, or did he just make it up? Oh, I'm telling you one thing. I bet you. Did you think it was on the teleprompter? Absolutely fucking not. Because that's like that's. You don't think it was on the teleprompter? No, no, there's no way because they know anything, anything that he says that's like that yeah. is going to be used as like that's going to be all right. Well, that's what we're going to call him now. Right. Right. So I we got. Play. I got a list of things. It's probably already on t-shirts. This, this is a national poll across all demographic graphics of voters. Um, source, the U.S. survey of adults conducted April 25th through May 1st, 2022. Inflation tops America's biggest list of problems facing the country. Let's go down it real quick. There's not too many. Number one, inflation, 70, 70%. Mm. Uh, affordable health care, 55%. That's okay. two. Violent crime, 54%. Oh. Coming in a close third. Gun violence, right underneath that at 51%. Mm. Are, mm. are you starting to see a trend here? These all rate, like it raised 51%? Of, yeah. of the people polled, that's the... Average. Oh, that's what they're concerned about. Yep. Got it, got it, got it. And uh, federal budget deficit tied for fourth at 51%. Unfortunately, it's fifth. Climate change, 42%. Hit it. No one cares. There you go. Oh, scissor me timbers. <laughs> right underneath that at 39%, the quality of public schools, 38%, illegal immigration, 35%. You might want to hit it again. Racism. Stupid son of a bitch. <laughs> there you go. The conditions of road, bridges, and under uh, infrastructure comes in next at 30%. Unemployment all the way down at the bottom. What about racist bridges? And last. Well, they are right next to each other. It's mm. pretty funny. Racism, 35%. Conditions of road, bridges, and infrastructure, 30%. So they're, I think, believe they're... Eight and nine and number 10, coronavirus outbreak. Weird. Last? 19%? COVID-19 is at 19%? <laughs> no one cares. How would he give a shit? Some things I didn't How see on there. Time. No Ultra MAGA. No Roe v. Wade. So good luck trying to continue to frame that narrative. I didn't see. Oh, I didn't even make the list. No, that that's the top 10 and January so, 6th wasn't on there either. So COVID, it, the... The worst thing to happen to the universe in history. All the 9-11s and, and Pearl Harbors. Yeah, and then... Combined. And then January 6th. Yes, which is worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> and then and then below that was what? Just nothing. No, well, that was just the top 10. <laughs> so, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see how they try to... Top 5, top 1? Yeah, top 5, top 1. They're... Uh, their campaign platform moving forward into the midterm elections, which is not looking good every day. It just keeps getting worse and worse. So I that's mean, amazing that those were at the bottom, like the things that they're trying to just spin as the ultimate things to con concern yourself about. Hilarious. Yeah. I, I just think that, you know, they've been running on the wrong stuff. Well, they, they ran on lies that, that's that's number one. Yeah. So that's what got them into the White House, supposedly. We're not even talking about all the stuff that went wrong in 2020. Uh, we're just talking about campaign platform. 
And and now it's like we're heading into this midterm elections and the country couldn't be worse. And then all of a sudden, you know, what, what do you have? So you don't have anything to run on. It's like everywhere you look, well, at least gas prices aren't high. Well, at least employment isn't low. Well, at least, you know, inflation's not an issue. And at least the, uh, the shelves in the supermarket are stocked um, and all that stuff. So what can you do? I mean, you're just going to start trying to run off of stuff that just isn't important. And uh, maybe they'll start giving illegal immigrants electric cars. That's a good point. Joe <laughs> Biden was quick to respond to those comments by Rick Scott later in the day in a different uh, campaign issue or campaign uh, event where they're talking about the title is lowering costs, tackling inflation. Two things that are definitely not happening. When he was asked about this, let's hear what he had to say. You're going to laugh. You called, out Rick Scott. you called out Rick Scott a little while ago in your remarks earlier today, anticipating your remarks. He said, and I'm just quoting here that uh, the best thing, most effective thing Joe Biden can do to solve the inflation crisis he created is resign. He's the problem. Ouch. The senator added later, the senator added later, Joe Biden is unwell, he's unfit for office, he's incoherent, incapacitated, and confused. These are his words. Offering you a chance to respond. I think the man has a problem. Hmm. Good answer. (laughs) Well... (laughs) Yeah, he has a problem now because you sent goons to his house or what? You know, you should resign. Resign. That's a good idea. Yeah, that's I'm a good fucking idea. tired of this. I'm tired. <laughs> it's bad. I just pooped my pants. Yes, it's bad. And don't worry, he was completely on topic when he was reading off the teleprompter. Let's hear a quick one from the president. People, my predecessor did not come close. By traveling... And our, you know, by, we, we, we can't, we have to keep investing oh. in our farmers. <laughs> Always staying on message. <laughs> you know what's incredible? Because I, I pull a lot of audio clips from, from Twitter because yeah. uh, they're the easiest to, to work in and out of the show. And I swear to you, it, you find a Joe Biden clip. That's over 30, 40 seconds long. They're all cut at like 15 seconds. Oh, yeah, because at 15 yeah. seconds, he goes completely off the fucking track. It's so it's so strange, right? It's like a, you could tell there's a pattern. <laughs> well, as this never-ending back and forth between Senate uh, Senator Rick Scott, Joe Biden, and now Jen Psaki, who just served her last day as the White House press secretary, we'll get to that more in our next segment, continued to roll on. She was asked yesterday, what is going on here? You got Joe Biden mentioning Ultra MAGA again, calling Donald Trump this, that, and the other thing, and then you have senators uh, weighing in on his mental health. Let's hear her. President's uh, comments last night. He went off about MAGA again. Yeah. Um, he MAGA was, King. Yeah, King he MAGA. To, to uh, <laughs> former President Trump as the Ultra MAGA King. He's been decrying Ultra MAGA Republicans and saying he's going to be doing it more. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hillary Clinton expressed some regret not too long ago, uh, for referring to Trump voters as deplorables who yep. couldn't be redeemed. And considering that Trump got 74 million votes in the last election, I'm just wondering if this is the best strategy for Biden to win people over, win over support ahead of the midterms, especially given his inaugural theme being America United. Well, I would say that the president is not afraid to call out what he sees as extreme positions that are out of line with where the American people stand mm. and whether that is uh, supporting a tax plan that will raise taxes on 75 million Americans making less than $100,000 a year, or whether it is uh, supporting efforts to overturn Roe v. Wade, something that two-thirds of the American people, in, in a Fox News poll, may I add, supported. 
Yeah, she's right. Mm-hmm. Almost 70% of Americans are in agreement with overturning Roe v. Wade. So, uh, so I take it back. Just the fact that Saki's hitting the MAGA king, it probably was something they wrote on the teleprompter. It's ugly. <laughs> Maybe that's why he sounded so confused when he said it. He's like, what? He's right. a king now? When did he get elected king? Yeah, I do have to shout out to one of our, our favorite memers, part of the Patriotic Meme Alliance, uh, Midnight Mitch. He actually did an amazing cartoon meme of Donald Trump is the MAGA king. 45 shared it on true social nice yeah good for him because finally hitting the big leagues so you got that whole group of guys like you got junior nunez cash sharing their memes all the time now donald trump's getting involved sometimes scavino the, the ones i like the best is when like scavino or nunez do like the pinata farms <laughs> videos of like funny movies and they put all of their own heads on the it's i love it yeah it's pretty funny um, I, I don't know if you guys have heard. I'm sure our listenership is, is dialed into it by now because it's been on the news cycle like nonstop for the last couple of days. Apparently, there's like a baby formula shortage across the country. You know, I've noticed it in Walmart. They have the papers up that says. Yeah, I've had a couple of uh, new fathers that I'm friends with uh, talk really? about it. They're like, hey, if, you, if you're at the grocery store and you see this specific thing or whatever, I will Venmo you on the spot. Just let me know. Buy it. Wow. Yeah. Sometimes one, sometimes two container limits. And... Uh, it was what then all, it, yeah, it was also revealed uh, in addition to a lot of pictures of empty truck or empty shelves in the in the uh, grocery stores, you see not empty shelves at border facilities in, in Southwest Texas. So I guess this week, some border patrol agents who were working there collaborated with some people in the mainstream media to leak films of, you know, lots of formula for people crossing the border, but not for American hardworking moms and dads and babies. Well, sad. I was on Twitter. I'm sorry, go on. No, go ahead. I was on Twitter and I saw um, a bunch of tweets from wives of truck drivers saying that um, the companies are only allowing maybe like two trucks because they can't afford the gas. They're not making any profit. They're taking a loss. So they're not, there's more than enough, you know, um, stock, but they're not transporting anything because the companies can't afford it because of the gas. I don't know. I, mean, I, I don't I don't feel like that would be the case because not all, would, but there's a lot. No, but all they do is just they just baby formula is now more expensive than gold. That's just what would happen. Mm-hmm. Like if gas prices got to the point where they couldn't transport it on a truck without seventy five percent increase in price, they would just increase it a hundred percent. Yeah. And then there's twenty five percent profit. Times, yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. A lot of times they do, but like um those women were talking about how that's happening in some parts of the country. Yeah, I could see that. I don't, I don't know if it's, I don't know why there's a shortage of baby formula, but if anybody needs formula, you can order online from Europe and it's a lot better and a lot better for your kid. Um, it's called hip and haul formula, hmm. much healthier, no soy, all organic pasture raised. Use a code steak for, no, just mm, not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, someone who probably loves steak but is is always quick to shit on the Biden administration is uh, Missouri Senator Josh Hawley. Uh, he jumped on with uh, the Five's post-game show yesterday and uh, talked with Harris Faulkner about this issue. Let's hear him. Well, one of the things I'd like to know is why did the Biden administration shut down this plant back in February and why is it still closed? I mean, if there were issues with the plant, fine, but what are they? And why are we here now in May? The plant is still closed. It's still offline. They won't tell us why. They won't tell us when it's coming back online. What is the FDA doing with this time? 
I mean, there's there's no explanation for this. And can I just say, Missouri, my state, mm -hmm. is one of the states in the country that is over 50% out of stock. Mm -hmm. And this is this is not not only is it not acceptable, this isn't sustainable. I mean, I don't know what the administration's doing. I don't know why they don't have any urgency about it. Uh, they seem to be a lot more focused on other things, but not this, not the American people and the needs of our children. And I tell you, something's got to happen quick here. So apparently the FDA and EPA, so we all know what that's about, collaborated to shut this plant down. Oh, like, so they didn't pay the grift or not the grift, but the uh, the VIG. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And uh, it looks like it parlayed into a part of this delay in getting shelves full right now. But don't worry, Jen Psaki in her, in her penultimate day from the White House podium yesterday. Smart, uh, snorting lines of instant eggs. Listen. Yeah. We've, we've got three of them so far. What was it? Uh, do a yoga class, drink a margarita. We had a third one. What was it? Chili. Uh, bowl of chili? Yeah, no. <laughs> Something. She, she gave us another one, though, so don't worry about it. The, the Biden administration's got their hands all over this one. You said it was a public health question. Which agency should that question be directed to? Just the very practical, immediate question of if you can't find formula and you need it for your baby to eat. What should they be doing? Uh, we would certainly uh, encourage any parent who has concerns about their child's health or well-being to call their doctor or pediatrician. Hmm. So if you can't find baby formula, schedule a doctor, doctor. appointment. And That's your doctor is so going to be like, what the fuck do I look like? I, yeah, oh. your baby needs to eat. That's 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 the it's basis of fucking life. But, you know, um, I mean, to be fair, a lot of doctors do have some formula on hand to give parents, but not to sustain like them, you know. Yeah, like samples, like try this, it's good for your kid. Yeah, yeah, they have samples and whatnot. But it's, what kind of answer is that? Uh, a textbook <laughs> one from Jen Psaki. So I know this is probably going to give somebody else the jump on making something that I may or may not ever get around to making, but somebody needs to merge those two sound clips to the uh, Psaki margarita video when they're talking about <laughs> the, uh, we just invite uh, any parents to, you know, take a yoga class, have a margarita. Or call a doctor. <laughs> I like it. We'll put that on the long list of things you still need to get done. Yep. Thanks for the Dr. Oz meme. I'm waiting for a good one from Jack Posobiec to ratio his comments with that one. There you go. So <laughs> I, I already floated in a couple groups, and it's gotten a lot of laughter approval. <laughs> um, current sitting House member out of North Carolina and also current senatorial candidate from the same state, Ted Budd, Trump endorsed, jumped on with Maria this morning to talk about this whole Joe Biden's woke disastrous policies and how they're affecting the U.S. economy. Let's hear him weigh in. Joining me right now to talk more about that is North Carolina Congressman Ted Budd. He's a member of the House Financial Services Committee and a candidate for U.S. Senate. Congressman, it's great to see you. Thanks very much for being here this morning. I'm going to get to Hunter Biden in a moment, but first, got to get your take on all of this nervousness uh, on Wall Street and for investors. This market is down uh, 15 to 22 percent year to date. We've got another 500 point sell off right now as investors worry about a recession, the Federal Reserve raising interest rates, inflation at 40 year highs. What can you do about it? All this Run comes down Senate. to the consumer and what the Biden administration has done to destabilize things for them. I mean, we, we saw tremendous gains in the lowest quartile of earners under President Trump. We saw un, unbelievable low unemployment rates uh, for women, for minorities, for Hispanics. And, and right now you're seeing uncertainty, which is leading to volatility. Uh, we're seeing the highest inflation in over 40 years. And that's when that's a different measurement than we used to use 40 years ago. Now it's core inflation, which does 
doesn't deal as directly with food and energy. And every single day we need food and energy. And it's making it harder and harder on American folks out there. This comes down to energy production for us. I mean, this is planting season. We're on the back end of planting season here in North Carolina. The input costs, fertilizer costs, diesel fuel costs are up. And so we're not out of the woods. This could be even tougher in the fall on food supply chain and other things which directly impact uh, the, the, those who are having a hard time and struggling, such as our American consumers. I don't really like looking forward to hearing a little teaser about that. No. You know, uh, I like I like Ted Budd. He's a really strong candidate. I'm glad President Trump endorsed him. He's killing it in the primary. It looks like he's going to walk there, and then I think he's opened up like a 10-point lead on the on the incumbent. So from from the Democratic Party, it looks like we're going to get another strong senator from that state and flip another one over there. So it, it was really good. Um, it's it's just a mess right now. You can't go anywhere without being affected by it, and and your dollar's just worth so much less. It's like down to like I believe. Well, if you if you just factor in like the forty plus percent, your your dollar's worth sixty five cents right now. Um, you know where, where during the Trump administration, your dollar was worth closer to eighty cents. And that was across the board, so you really didn't miss it as much as you do now. Um, in our last audio clip of this segment, Tucker Carlson weighed in on all things inflation-related. Let's hear him kind of just break it down for us. If you live in Washington, you're responsible for inflation to pretend that you care about inflation and you think it's bad. It's been pretty easy for Joe Biden to say this because you can blame food inflation just like he blamed Donald Trump's election on Vladimir Putin. So that's what he's doing. I'm doing everything within my power by executive orders to bring down the price and address the Putin price hike. Let me start with the Putin price hike. High gas prices and energy prices. 70% of the increase in inflation was a consequence of Putin's price hike because of the impact on gas and energy prices. And doing everything I can to bring down the price to address Putin's price hike. So not only did Vladimir Putin single-handedly to hack the DNC and embarrass the Democratic Party, which is the gravest felony one can commit, mm. but he wrecked our economy. How did he do that from the other side of the world? <laughs> when he runs an economy totally detached from ours? Mm, good question, but that's really all they have at this point. <laughs> and you can see, given that, why Democrats are encouraging war in Ukraine, why they want that war to last forever. If the war in Ukraine ever ended, who would they blame for the effects of their deranged policies? They'd have to pick a new person, probably you. But in point of fact, Vladimir Putin, for all of his faults, did not cause inflation in the United States. The people who run our economy in the U.S. government caused inflation in the United States. And they did it the old-fashioned way, by printing a ton of money very quickly. Yep. And that devalued our currency, as printing a ton of money very quickly always does. Yep. Now, the way this is measured with something called M2, that's the data set that the Federal Reserve uses to measure money supply. Our M2 money supply is not just going up. Our money supply is going up faster than it ever has in American history. As of today, M2 stands at more than $22 trillion. For reference, on February 3rd, 2020, it was at $15.3 That is, if you don't have a handheld calculator handy, a 43% jump in our nation's money supply in just over two years. All right. Gee, I wonder why. So what's the result? The result is predictable and obvious. Inflation is going up much faster in the United States than it is in, say, Europe, where they didn't spend as much on stimulus. <laughs> Whatever Putin did or didn't do, none of this is his fault. This predates Putin's invasion of Ukraine. And you don't need to be a right-winger to acknowledge that. Even CNN is acknowledging that. Mm. 
Biden called it the Putin price hike. I mean, is the pain of the pump all because of the war in Ukraine? Not really, right? They like to talk about the Putin price hike, but of course, energy prices were soaring even before the war began. Inflation was an issue before we ever started talking about Ukraine. So there we heard that White House line that is due to President Putin's price hike. One thing that is still out there is whether or not this is working, especially when it comes to a recent CNN poll that showed that less than a third of Americans really feel that this uh, party's economic visions aligns with their own. So that is something, a crushing thing for this administration to deal with as it really prepares to take on the midterm elections. So everyone understands what's going on here. Sorry, it's not Putin's fault. It's the fault of the people currently in charge. And that makes Joe Biden very much like the classic arsonist fireman. He created the disaster he now claims he will fix. Well, I just happen to be here. I'll we put say it that out. all the time. Yeah. Biden caused this. And not just Biden, Janet Yellen, his whole economic yep. team. And by the way, the legacy economic team. This has been going on for a long time. It's not just Biden, but he has made it much worse. And he's done it on purpose. Biden is shutting down domestic energy production. The administration just canceled sales of federal oil leases. Why are they doing this? Why are they making it worse? Everything depends upon the price of energy. Everything you buy was trucked there or brought by ship or plane Excellent or point. rail. You need energy to bring you the products that you buy. And if the price of energy goes up, so does the price of those products. It's really simple. So when you hike the price of energy, which they've done on purpose, you're increasing inflation. Period. You don't need to be an economist to understand that, much less a Nobel Prize winning economist. Why are they doing this? Well, there are three reasons. First, they have to do it. America's sovereign debt levels are way, way too high. Yep. We basically nationalized the debt, which is to say we transferred it to taxpayers from the 08 meltdown. So we have way too much debt. And the only way out of that is to devalue the U.S. dollar. Otherwise, the U.S. government won't be able to afford the interest payments on the money that it owes. No one says it out loud, but it's absolutely true. We have to have inflation or else the U.S. government will default. You have to pay the price for their bad policies. Okay, so the morons who mismanage the American economy need inflation. Thank you, Janet Yellen. The rest of us could have seen this coming 10 years ago, but somehow you didn't. The second reason is that rising energy prices justify their transition to the Green New Deal. Yep. Nobody in America would ever choose to transition to green energy, which is to say to put trillions of U.S. tax dollars into the pet investment projects of Democratic donors, no one would ever do that voluntarily. But they're hoping that the price of fossil fuels will go so high that you have no choice. Oh, you can't afford to fill your truck? Guess you're going to need a Prius now. And we're definitely going to need to control the thermostat in your home. Ugly. Mm. You, you want to know what the f uh, fun fact I just learned today? What's that? Uh, I saw it. So guess what the number one uh strengthening of currency was in the world since the beginning of the fiscal year the uh, good old russian ruble oh yeah. that's you may right. have reme you may have remembered them from uh mean sanctions and uh seizing oligarchs yachts and kicked off the swift system the russian ruble has rebounded to be now at 11% higher than it was valued in fiscal year uh 2021 amazing so amazing so we're yeah. actually just really helping them out Oh, we've helped them more than out. We've we've padded the war chest, and I say that both, yeah. both as a pun and ironically. Um, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. Obviously, it's not going away anywhere. You know, every single person 
uh, in the conservative movement there that spoke on this. I mean, if you're listening to Joe Biden or Jen Psaki or anybody else, they swear to God it's not their fault. And guess what? It's going away. And then you've had everybody from analysts, commentators, pundits, senators, House members, um, all say that we buckle up buckaroos. <laughs> which is probably a new button we're going to need soon. Yeah. <laughs> um, but as we transition to this, we're going to jump into a couple more segments. We've got two more great guests coming up right now. First was the uh, former commissioner of the New York Police Department, great patriot American hero, Bernie Carrick. And right after that, um, someone who's running in the uh, Senate out of the great state of Oklahoma for the open seat that's being left by the retiring uh, Senator Inhofe. It's going to be Alex Gray. All right, joining us next on the show. He is the 40th police commissioner of New York City. He's a New York Times bestselling author. He supports all things law enforcement. And joining us on the first time for the show today, Mr. Bernard Carrick. Commissioner, thanks for coming down with us. Thank you, guys. Dude, we really appreciate it. Uh, how's everything going with you, sir? You've uh, been out there, been pretty busy. Police week happening and uh, definitely a lot of stuff going on with that. Yeah, listen, uh, you know, I, I've been pretty busy the last couple of years. Um, you know, still focusing a lot on the 2020 election. Um, what happened then? Um, you know, police week is starting, uh, really starting tomorrow, the yep. next day. Um, you know, uh, paying um, tribute to many of the men and women uh, in the police world that have lost their lives and sacrificed uh, so much for this country. Um, so I, I try to stay pretty busy. Yeah, you have been pretty busy. You know, you've done a lot of things involving the, uh, election integrity stuff. Commissioner, we are a huge America first agenda themed program. We champion Trump era policies. We just had cash Patel on who, uh, told us he saw you on the golf course a week or so ago when, uh, he was out golfing with Donald Trump. Um, we always have a ton of America first candidates running on sitting Congress people who are, who are trying to get all this stuff, you know, uh, worked out as we head into the midterms, which is just absolutely huge and critical for this country. What are some of the things you're working on in regarding uh, staying focused on 2020 and what happened with the election? Well, first of all, I ran the investigative side of the House for the legal division, for the, the legal fight, really. Uh, Mayor Giuliani uh, oversaw the president's legal team um, and the collection of evidence uh, for the for the 2020 uh, election, uh, the stealing of the election, if you will. Um, we put together a number of hearings around the country uh, in Georgia, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, um, to basically give the legislators the ammunition and the evidence they needed not to certify um, Joe Biden as the president. However, um, you know, I, I hate to say this and and uh, Republicans hate when I do say it. But the bottom line is, you know, the Democrats stole the election, but that's not why Donald Trump's not in office. Donald Trump's not in office because there are Republican legislators that certified votes that they knew were fraudulent. Mm -hmm. And they could say they didn't know at the time because they wanted to ignore Giuliani or they, they intentionally, uh, you know, wouldn't look at the evidence or... They didn't believe the evidence. But today, here we are, um, you know, some 18 months later, where there's overwhelming evidence that has come out since that basically, you know, uh, justified everything we were doing, everything we were saying, 
And if your audience has not watched uh, 2000 Mules, I urge them to do so because this isn't rumor, innuendo, politics. These are videos, actual videos of runners, mules, if you will, that were dropping anywhere from 10 to 50 to 100 ballots in a drop box illegally in violation of state and federal law. And then this team uh, of producers and reporters geotracked um, these mules through their through their phones, was able to determine where they were going, what they were doing, um, and where they were coming from, which is really important. And that, in, in due time, will will be some of the most important issues. Where where were the ballots coming from? These illegal ballots that they infused into the system. 2,000 mules um, poured probably hundreds of thousands of ballots into the system. Where'd they come from? Where'd they get the ballots? Who told them to do it? This is a RICO investigation, if I've ever seen one. The only problem is we have a Justice Department that's doing nothing. We have states, uh, attorneys general and, you know, secretaries of state around the U.S. and Republican legislators that are not pushing for state and federal investigation. So that's my biggest beef are those Republican legislators that ignored it, that didn't do anything about it. And now they're sitting, you know, in the shadows, hoping that this thing just, you know, just disappears. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not. It's not going to disappear because when we take over the House and Senate in 2022, I'm confident they're going to have pretty substantial investigations. And those investigations will include what came out in that documentary. And that's going to be devastating. Yeah, that documentary was really eye-opening to say the least i mean we've had so many people on the show that have been connected to the you know investigations that went on people like christina bob who originally worked on rudy's uh, right. legal stuff afterwards she's a great friend of the show she's an off-air great friend of us and uh you know so many other people who were, were, were hands-on seth Keschel, just a lot of the people who who worked directly on that um and you know where we're at right now it should have never gotten to this point. There are so many cowards who just won't even talk about it. And the best thing I guess you could look at if you have to at least put one eye moving forward is this midterm election, because you're not getting anybody running on the MAGA agenda or getting a Trump endorsement or probably having very much luck at the polls on election day. If you're not having election integrity and in what happened in the 2020 presidential election as item one, even though the economy's so bad, the borders wide open, the crime wave across this country. If you're not talking about what happened in the election, and what consequently got us to this point, then, you know, you have no business probably running if uh, you're looking to do anything to save this country. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I hope the American people realize that, you know, we're in the position we're in today because the Democrats were able to put Joe Biden in the White House. Um, that can't happen again. Um, elections should be fair. Elections should be legal. Um, and, and that involves both sides of the political parties. Um, I'm disappointed with the Democrats and what they did. And I think I'm more disappointed with the Republicans. They didn't have the balls to stare the courage to stand up and, uh, and do what should have been done.
Yeah, because they steamrolled everybody in the Republican Party as soon as they got control of, you know, the whole thing, presidency, the House, and Senate. Look at what that's got it for not showing a little bit of a spine. Commissioner, I want to talk to you about, you know, the climate across this country. It's something that started to really heat up in around 2017, and then, you know, we went through the summer of love and all this other stuff. The way we looked at law enforcement— and the badge and the officers, the dedication and stuff has just been demonized over the you know, greater part of the last half decade or more. Um, the radical progressive left has just made it to where, you know, if you back the blue or you wear the blue and you go out there every night not knowing if you're going to come home, uh, and, and which used to sound cliche, but now it literally is something like that. Um, that, that that's like the reality of it. How do you feel that we've gotten to this place so quickly? And, and what are some of the things you do? It probably starts with elections and electing real uh, conservatives and, and, and true people that love America that are going to go and resupport our men and women in law enforcement. But what do you think some of the things we could do to kind of get away from this whole narrative that like just has demonized law enforcement for so long? Well, I think, look, I, I think two things happened. One, um, you know, you have this radical left population that sort of wants the demise of this country, right? They want globalism, they want communism, they want socialism, they want, they're not sure exactly what they want because they probably, most of them have never been out of this country. They've never been in a socialist country or a communist country and they have no idea what they're talking about, but they're promoting it constantly. Um, and that's had a major impact on the attacks on law enforcement, but there's another issue that runs parallel to this, and that is the this race baiting, pushing of the race narratives. Uh, you know, the 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 radical race narratives that started, uh, unfortunately, in the Obama administration. And I personally blame the president himself, President Obama. Yep. You know, from the time my my kids were born. Um, from the time they were born, I raised them to believe and to understand that skin color means nothing. Uh, everybody should be the, treated the same and fairly. Um, you know, I, most people don't know this. I grew up in a completely black neighborhood. I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie Lean on Me oh, with yeah. Morgan Freeman. Yeah. Okay. Well, I went to Eastside High. I was one of those 20, 25 little white kids that went to Eastside High back in 1969, um, but long before Joe Clark ever got there. And I tease people that I didn't have that many white friends. I didn't know there were that many white people in the world until I went in the military at 18 and got to Fort Bragg and saw all these white faces. Here's the bottom line. Um, my kids were told by the president of the United States, that they were different, that skin color mattered, that one should be superior over the other. By the president of the United States, that started. And I think that's, that is killed, killed our community relations. That's killed our, our race relations. That's, I mean, it's, it's really devastated this country. And then in the aftermath of that, following that, you've had, you know, the creation of BLM, Black uh, Lives Matter, which in my view, as somebody that was around in the 70s and 80s in law enforcement, 
That was just an extension of the Black Liberation Army and the Black Panther Party. As a matter of fact, some of the people, the inspiration, for example, of Black Lives Matter is a woman by the name of Joanne Chesimard, who assassinated the New Jersey State Trooper in 1973, today lives in exile in Cuba uh, under the African name Asada Shakur. She escaped from a New Jersey um, prison in 1979, and she's still living today in Cuba. Um, she was the inspiration for the creators of Black Lives Matter. Um, one of the treasurers for Black Lives Matter is a woman by the name of Susan Rosenberg. Susan Rosenberg was a member of the Weather Underground. She was connected to the Black Panther Party, the Black Liberation Army. And back in 1983, 1985, was involved in a number of bombings, um, an escape uh, thing with Chesimard. She was involved in the assassination of uh, two cops and a Brink security guard up in Nyack, New York. Um, she's out of prison today because Bill Clinton pardoned her, granted her clemency in 2001. And today she's the treasurer, one of the treasurers for Black Lives Matter. Okay, well, these are the things that's happened. Um, and and those, the, all those elements have put on this major attack on law enforcement, just like they did back in back in the 70s uh, and 80s. If you go back to those days, the Black Panther Party, Black Liberation Army, same exact language, assassinate the cops, fry them for their pigs, fry them like bacon, all that, all those cliches, those, those memes, those sayings back in the 70s and 80s were ongoing um, with the different uh, radical socialist uh, anti-American groups. That's what's attacking law enforcement today. And because of social media, that stuff is picked up in a way that it can never, it, it would never be publicized um, years ago like it is today. I think that's hurt us. I think the law enforcement community is no different today than it was then. As a matter of fact, it's much better today uh, than it was then because they have so much more training. They have so many more resources. They have they have things that they didn't have in the past. They have understandings of communities that they didn't have in the past. And they're held accountable today yeah. at levels that they weren't in the past. So at the end of the day, the cops have gotten better, but they're constantly being attacked. And this radical leftist, socialist, globalist movement continues to uprise. And, and you know, I think a part of it is, we keep electing these morons. You know, the American people are putting them in office. We now have five or six admitted Marxists and socialists that are in the House of Representatives. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane. And it's insane. Yeah, stay in, if you want to stay in the Washington, D.C. thread, Mr. Commissioner, do you think it's just eye-opening to see the weaponization of, on the other side of the coin, basically law enforcement like they've done at the DOJ. We consider and, and talked to a lot of Trump administration officials who also agree with us that Merrick Garland was a revenge hire for what happened for him during a Supreme Court nomination, and, and he's just gone you know, completely off the rails in regards to the way that he uses law enforcement going after people in like the Gretchen Whitmer fed napping thing, things that probably happened on January 6th and how that was infiltrated all the way down to, you know, it, it now it, yesterday or, or the day before I saw it's come out, 
the house is looking to do an investigation because it seemed like he may have committed perjury for saying that they weren't sending the FBI uh, after parents when some of the literature they put out internally from a whistleblower literally said target moms and dads. Uh, just crazy to see how the Biden administration has taken law enforcement, which doesn't have the best view right now nationally because of the stuff that, you know, Joe Biden was a part of during the Obama administration and everything they've done to demonize law enforcement. Then now he's using them to uh, go after the people who support, you know, Donald Trump and, and things of that nature. You know, the frightening thing about the Department of Justice right now is the fact that they're using them in a manner to target um, innocent people. Right. Yeah. There's nothing there's nothing more frightening and devastating to a democracy uh, like ours than a government that weaponizes its criminal justice system to target innocent Americans and deprive them of their liberties and freedom. And here's the here's the problem. They're doing this proactively. And then on the other end. They're intentionally ignoring federal violations of law. Say in the in the you know the example is the uh, the election, the 2020 election. You cannot take 2,000 mules. You can't take that video and not and, and not investigate that. The FBI and DOJ, as far as I know, to this point have not taken that evidence and begun an investigation based on what we see in that film. That's that's a basically an open and shut RICO case, a federal RICO case that should have been. I have I have the Hunter Biden hard drive. Rudy Giuliani and I gave it to the Delaware police authorities who gave it to the Delaware attorney general who gave it to the FBI. That was in October of 2020. Why isn't Hunter Biden in handcuffs? And I know the reason, because if you arrest Hunter Biden and indict him, you have to indict his father, his uncle Jim, yep. and the accountant. I know why they're not doing it. But the bottom line is, I've never seen a Justice Department in my lifetime, in my entire lifetime, that was so politically engaged and corrupt. I've just, I've never seen it like it is today yeah when you talk about all the things that you just mentioned you want to talk about Russiagate the 2020 presidential election and then all the things regarding Joe Biden Hunter Biden and the Hunter Biden laptops like you can't even put that in the same like makes Watergate look like preschool it (laughs) it literally does Uh, you know we we just had Cash Patel on and he was getting ready getting all ramped up for the Sussman trial that's going to start next week and you want to talk about crime families they're kind of peeling back the layers on the Clinton crime family and hopefully it goes all the way to the top eventually but you know the way the DOJ is working now, they're really going to have to get nudged to to get some prosecution and see some people go to jail for some of the things that happened regarding Russiagate, regarding the 2020 presidential election. But we know there's so many good people, hardworking men and women, patriots like yourself, Mr. Commissioner, that, uh, you know, are out there just stumping and doing the research and, and, and just holding the line for, for, you know, making America great again. We are really excited for the midterm elections coming up, but we are not. And any day, you know, forgetting about what happened in 2020, we hear Donald Trump enough talk about it, uh, you know, almost every week at the Save America rallies. And according to a lot of people in Trump world, he's getting ready to uh, really ramp it up and, and be on the ground, probably starting within the next week or two, all the way up to the midterm election. So if anybody's forgotten what's happened in the 2020 presidential election or isn't really paying attention to things like 2000 mules, you're going to hear it on a daily basis from the 45th president of the United States. 
Yeah, listen, I think so. And I and I think it has to be done. I think the American people are ignorant sometimes um, where they don't they don't go out and investigate on their own. They don't do their own research. Um, you know, you're voting people into office at lower levels of government, you know, the PTA boards, the the community boards, the county commissioner, you know, positions. These positions are probably some of the most important positions in our country today, because if you vote in these Marxists and these radical left wingers, what happens is it gives them the ability to grow and they wind up in the House of Representatives. They wind up in the Senate. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, they wind up in the White House and we've got them in there now. So at the end of the day, people need really, really need to start paying attention. Yeah, it's it's something. Listen, we, we do. There's a couple things you need to do in between each one of our podcasts. And believe it or not, number one is always do your own research. We implore our audience to it. We tell them our narrative is not the narrative. It's talking points. It's reporting on the news. It's having on great guests. You want to go and break down their opinions. You got to go do all your research. Peel, peel the layers back yourself. Mr. Commissioner, we know, you know, you are very busy. We appreciate the time that you coming down with us today. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm originally from North Jersey. I'm, I'm living in uh, San Diego now. But growing up, listen, watching you and America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, on TV all the time, cleaning up that city and then all the stuff you guys did after 9-11, never thought I'd be able to sit, you know, across the computer screen and say it to you. But, you know, thank you for all your hard work and service and continued service to this country. Thank you, guys. Yeah, we really appreciate it. You want to let our listenership know where they could find you, either on social media, websites, so that they could maybe grab your books or whatever? Yeah, any any of my, all my social, uh, social medias, same thing, Bernard Carrick, one word. We'll live link that in the show description today, sir. And, of course, we'd always be willing to have you back anytime you'd be inclined to join us. Thank you. This is the 40th police commissioner of the New York City Police Department and the New York Times bestselling author who's out there stumping hard to make America great again, again. Mr. Bernard Carrick, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks. All right, joining us next on the show today, he is a fourth-generation Oklahoman who worked at the highest level of President Trump's White House as Chief of Staff of the National Security Council. He's currently running for what's going to be an open Senate seat in the great state of Oklahoma. Mr. Alex Gray, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. It's our pleasure, sir. How's everything going with you? It's going well. We're uh, we're off to a good start here. We've got about a month and a half left in the race, and uh, it's just awesome to get out there and talk to folks across the state and and to spread the message. Which I, I you know it's a message I know you guys are are all about. Which is uh, it's the Make America Great Again agenda and bringing it back. Yeah, it's something that we are, are definitely missing right now. Um, I do want to touch on all things your campaign, but before we do, I just want to give our listenership a little bit of a backstory. So. You worked in the Trump White House. Uh, you want? I, I watched some of your videos and, and read a couple news articles about you doing some, uh, you know, pre-production for the podcast. And uh, you, you've been around some of the bigger uh, national security achievements of the Trump administration. You want to talk about citizenship about that a little bit? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, so I was very, you know, I was fortunate to be with the president from Trump Tower in uh, the summer of 2016 all the way till his last day in the, in the white house and was one of the last two people to walk out of the West wing and said goodbye to him on Marine one and, and walked out of the West wing. And, um, you know, was ultimately chief of staff of the national security council and got in that capacity, got to work, uh, very closely with the president and with his senior team on some of the moments that Americans know well, some of the big successes that define the Trump presidency, things like the al-Baghdadi raid, the Soleimani strike, 
some of the the bigger uh, you know things like the Abraham Accords, yeah. getting getting NATO to pay their fair share. Some of the president's historic trips overseas when he went to India and and spoke to a hundred thousand people in a cricket stadium. Uh, when the president went to to the NATO summit in late 2019, and basically you know through force of personality did what no president has ever done, which is actually get NATO to pay their fair share. Um, you know, it was it was fortunate to be there with them for all of those amazing moments. Yeah, you know, I couldn't even imagine or begin to wrap my brain around, uh, you know, you hear about it on TV, you see commentary about it, obviously, President Trump talking, and then like, you know, your rollout video and stuff like that. But to be in the room for, for actually being in like, the planning phases of that stuff. And, and I saw, you know, trading ideas and asking for advice. It's, it has to be a pretty amazing experience. And, uh, you know, we thank you for your service in regards to, uh, being there with the president for that. It's a, it's a pretty amazing story that, you know, um, wrapped around your time in the white house. So then now we're moving forward. So you, you go back to Oklahoma, you've got a, a wonderful family, recent baby. Um, congratulations on that as well. And it looks like, you know, it's time to just get back to normal life. You, you probably were in there for the craziest four years in the history of the white house. And, uh, <laughs> Next thing you know, the, one of the sitting senators in, in Oklahoma, which is like, you know, close to an 80 percent voted for Trump in uh, 2016 and 2020, decides to retire four years early. So this seat opens up. What went into the factoring uh, that made the decision for you that you needed to run for this seat? Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. It's a, a question a lot of people ask me because, you know, we did we did go out of, as you said, it, it was the craziest four years probably uh, any White House has ever seen. And you know, as, as our, our friend Cash Patel will tell you, most of the craziness was because of, of the swamp. And it was because of the, the D.C. establishment that had its knives out for President Trump and everyone who worked for him and uh, did their best to make uh, to make the presidency unworkable and impossible. And because of the president and his leadership and the people uh, like Cash and and people who who believed in his message, we got some historic things done. And we, we had a record that is unparalleled in modern history in terms of actually delivering for the American people on foreign policy, domestic policy, you name it. Um, but, you know, at the end of that, you're tired. You want to you want to go home. I started a business. I you know, brought my wife back to Oklahoma. We we're having a kid and Senator Inhofe retires. And the thing that struck me, uh, two things really struck me that, that got me to throw my hat in the ring as someone who'd never run for office, never thought they'd run for office. You know, one was right around that same time, almost to the day Russia invaded Ukraine. And I looked at that and I looked at some of the, the members of Congress who are standing on, who are on TV talking about this issue, and they had no clue what they were talking about. I mean, just absolutely, just just the recycled talking points that they're given by the RNC or the DNC, and they're just saying whatever fluff comes up, you know, in their standard talking points. And look, I, I've been in the room when the president's making decisions about whether to send lethal aid to Ukraine. I've been in the room when there are a real. Uh, no BS decisions being made about how we're going to conduct American policy versus Russia. Not the stuff you hear in the mainstream media, but the real Trump policy on Russia, which was the toughest policy that, that any president has had on Russia since the end of the Cold War, and which is the reason why Vladimir Putin didn't even think about invading Ukraine when Donald Trump sat in the Oval Office. And I thought to myself, we need people 
who know on day one, who don't need training wheels, who can step into the U.S. Senate and can be there and ask the tough questions, hold the Biden administration accountable Mm -hmm. and don't don't need on the job training. And the second thing was, you know, I looked at the folks that unfortunately too many of the Republicans in the Senate and in in Congress and in Washington writ large aren't actually holding the Biden administration accountable. They go through the motions. They say all the right things. They talk about it when they think it's popular with the base or when they're up for reelection. These guys have never been through the the crucible. They've never been through what those of us who who stood with President Trump in the tough times had to go through. And so I, I just said, look, we need people who know the most serious issues inside out and backward. And second, we need people who have a track record of standing up for the MAGA movement and standing up for that agenda and who aren't going to be intimidated by the swamp and the deep state. And uh, and that's, you know, that that's what got me off the sidelines. Yeah, it seems like uh, being called and compelled to run is is pretty much it, to say the least. And, and when you look at the crop of America First, uh senator candidates who are running on just trump era policies you've got people like adam laxall eric greitens uh herschel walker all people that have been on the show and um you know they all say the same thing i went back to my normal life after the trump presidency was over you know ones that weren't involved in washington dc or didn't work in the beltway were definitely heavily involved in the 2020 presidential campaign and uh you know they just went back and they saw the country well I think Donald Trump says it best himself, just go to hell. And it, it's gotten out of control on all levels. It seems like every time one fire starts, there's like 10 more in the background getting ready to, to pop off right behind it. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's something where I'm sure after those four years, you probably wanted to rest, but you know, uh, you know, you're a young guy and, and this country really needs it. So we're, we're more than thrilled to see you in the race, which is what I want to ask you next about. How has the campaign rollout been? Yeah, you know, it's been really good. I mean, let's, you know, I'll be candid. I I haven't been running for office my whole life. I've been in Washington, you know, working for President Trump the last four years. That's what I was, you know, that's how I spent the last four years. And and some people, you know, have been, uh, you know, with President Trump in, in name only, I like to say. They like to say, you know, they're with President Trump because he won 77 counties in Oklahoma twice. Um, you know, I, I put my money where my mouth was. And I, Spent my time, you know, working for the guy in in the hardest jobs uh, around doing things that, you know, brought me directly into the heart of the deep state. I had the, you know, as, as our friend Cash can can vouch, you know, I had the, the deep state come after me. I've been attacked in The New York Times and The Washington Post for things I had to do for President Trump, the right things, things I would do again in a heartbeat, um, you know, and, and you know, I. I had to do what you know everyone in these positions of of influence you got to do what you think is right uh and you know i came back to oklahoma and didn't have name recognition you know i that's how i'd spent the last couple years and so i I started with zero name recognition and i'd say now you know we're battling uh for second place for a runoff state um we've got a sitting member of congress who's probably going to be in the runoff i think it's fair to say because he's been in congress for a long time and he's got uh, a solid, you know, uh, geographic base. And then I'm battling with a, a guy who's been running for office for uh, decades now, uh, and you know, has has a long history in, in politics, uh, elected politics in Oklahoma. And I'm battling him out for second place, and nearly outraised him in the first quarter in fundraising. And you know, I I could not be prouder of where we are. Uh, and look, and I think the reason for that is people understand. It's one thing to say you're for President Trump. 
it's one thing to wrap yourself in the the Trump, uh, you know, in, in the Trump flag, so to speak, in Oklahoma, right. where he's about as popular as you could possibly be. He's the, I always say he's the most popular person in the history of Oklahoma. And <laughs> I, I stand by that. Um, it's another thing to have actually stood with him when times are truly tough and to have put your reputation on the line to advance the American first agenda. Uh, that's what I did. You know, and I've got the the lawsuits and the IG investigations to prove it. You know, I, I did the things that you have to do to actually make change in Washington. And I stood with the president when it wasn't wasn't easy. And, uh, you know, I think people are rallying to that banner. And the folks in Oklahoma are, are starting to appreciate that there's a difference between saying Trump, Trump, Trump and actually living that agenda. Uh, your, you know, most of your career. No, you make a whole lot of sense there. And I think when you talk about those lawsuits and investigations, those are like, um, extra badges of honor in addition to like the ones you actually earned while you were serving in the administration. So, you know, you know, you get like the extra gold star when you start getting sued and uh, have investigations being dropped on you. What are some of the biggest uh, issues right now that are facing the average Oklahoman as you're getting out there and hitting the campaign trail? Yeah, you know, it's a couple things. Um, Inflation is just, it's killing people. And what I'm realizing now, having been away from from Washington, thankfully, for about a year and a half now, is folks in D.C. truly just don't care. Uh, And I think it's a bipartisan thing. Mm -hmm. I I think that there's a lot of there's just a a lot of uh, apathy about what average Americans are are dealing with, because it's something that most people in Washington just can't relate to. And and I go all around the state and you watch people who are making these incredibly difficult choices in their daily lives. Are they going to fill up their, their gas tank? Well, if they, if they fill up their gas tank, that means they're not going to be able to send their kids to summer camp. You know, are they going to, if they don't send their kids to summer camp, what are they going to do with their kids all summer? I mean, is, are, I've actually met some people who one of the, the parents is, is quitting their job to stay home and take care of the kids in the summer because they can't, you know, they, they can't afford to, to get other care for them. I mean, now they've got, they're down to one income. I mean, these choices that people are having to make because of the Biden inflation, because of the gas prices, these are real heart wrenching things that average American families are facing every day. And Washington does not care. And frankly, I mean, we saw this with the Biden administration today, ending some uh, additional oil and gas leases on federal land, they're doubling down on stupid. You know, they're doubling down on the same failed policies that have gotten us here. And the terrifying part is it's just making it worse. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there, there's no end in sight. And I think people, are, you know, be candid with you guys, people are scared and, and they're, they're wondering how bad it's going to get. And they're wondering if Washington is ever going to show that they have any, any interest in, in doing the right thing and taking care of uh, the people that, you know, politicians are sent to Washington to represent. Yeah. You make a whole lot of sense there. You know, we have some candidates on this show and, and when other people come on who are not running for office, but they're pundits, they're, they're people who are on the news and stuff like that. And they ask about candidates that we offered. We tell them sometimes that, you know, so-and-so's they, they put out a good platform. Like you said, they drape themselves in the Trump flag, but uh, they just don't sound like a fighter. You know, when they talk about Senate and House leadership, when they talk about congressional investigations, when they talk about possible impeachments for people like Alejandro Mayorkas, where, you know, Kamala Harris and Joe Biden have both done their things. Are the things that they've done regarding 
misdemeanors and high, uh, you know, high crimes and stuff like that. Maybe it's debatable. There's probably some legal gray area there. But when you look at people like, uh, you know, as I want to touch on a national issue right now, the U.S. southern border, Alejandro Mayorkas, he really has taken his job for granted and just done the absolute opposite of what the laws on the books are right now. And uh, up to this point has gotten away with it other than getting dunked on a couple times by, you know, some of our uh, members of the House and Senate in those uh, oversight hearings. Yeah, this is what you guys talk about, you know, fighters. And we, we certainly need people who believe in the America First agenda and are also willing to fight. Uh, but we also need people who understand how to use the tools, the institutional powers of Congress and the bureaucracy that the left is so good at using against us. We need people who understand how to use those tools uh, against the left. And we need to know, you know, take take the oversight committee hearings, take impeachment, take all of the different mechanisms that the left used to try and defeat the Trump agenda for four years. Uh, and, and frankly, the Bush agenda for eight years yeah. before that. Um, we have to have people who are savvy enough in the ways of, of how Washington works at that level to do the same thing back to them. So what I've said to people is, look, the United States Senate is one of the most powerful institutions that most people have no clue how it works. Um, one senator has extraordinary authority to just jam up the works of government. You know, I, I've been I've been very uh, uh, lucky to be endorsed by Senator Mike Lee from Utah. Yep. Um, you know, Senator Lee is, is a master of using uh, the prerogatives of the U.S. Senate to hold people accountable. Senator Cruz is another great example. Uh, Senator Ron Johnson is another example. You know, there are, uh, Senator Hawley is another example. All people fighters. who know, yeah, yeah. I mean, these, these guys know, you know, look, I've said this repeatedly, I will not uh, allow, take the disinformation governance board, <laughs> for instance, this, cra this, this crazy Orwellian thing that they've set up to the truth ministry. You know, I, I've said that, I will hold every single nomination for the Department of Homeland Security until that thing is defunded and disestablished. You know, and I'm 100 percent committed to doing that. And I will not let a single person go forward for a vote for the Department of Homeland Security until that never sees the light of day. And that's what Senator Cruz has been doing so effectively on foreign policy issues. He did it on the Nord Stream gas issue, uh, held State Department nominations until he was able to force a change in policy. Uh, I will be using all the prerogatives of the U.S. Senate to fight for the things we all care about. Uh, and I don't care if the Senate Republican leadership tells me to back off. I don't care if I get a nasty editorial in The Washington Post. Uh, that's just that's that's the important part about representing the people where you come from, you have to take the slings and arrows and do the right thing regardless. Sure. And you've already been doing that for, you know, the, with the previous administration and, uh, We'd like to see a little bit more of it. You mentioned some of those fighters there, and those it, it, it's very few in number that will go out on record, and that's the whole thing. There's a lot of people who want to run on the America First agenda, but when you actually have to go out there and, like, live it in the beltway, it seems like it's kind of a, a little bit more difficult task than it is just, like, hitching your wagon to somebody's campaign or, like, saying you support President Trump. When, when he gives you what the uh, – 
what the agenda is and says, all right, now we have to go produce legislation. We have to vote on this stuff. We have to get it passed. And then we have to implement it as fast as possible, which is another big thing that they ran into and, and with the Trump administration and fighting up against the administrative state the whole time. Uh, you you got to get enough people in there to where the numbers are overwhelming. And if things don't move as fast as the president wants them to next time, you'll have fighters in there that are going to go, okay, well, if we're not going to, you know, let's just say build the wall, then we're going to have congressional investigations on the why the wall's not getting built if it got voted on in Congress and what's taking it so long. And you'll see people start to move. One more issue I want to touch on with you, Alex. Uh, we saw yesterday. So one of the things President Trump promised as part of his foreign policy was ending pointless foreign wars and bringing our troops home. He did that with Afghanistan, and he saved the American federal government and the American taxpayers fifty-six billion dollars annually uh, for, for you know all things that were going on there. Yesterday, we saw in in just near the eighty days. Uh, Joe Biden and the current administration proposed to send. Now it would have if Rand Paul didn't stand up in Congress yesterday. Fifty three billion dollars over to Ukraine. That's insane. To fight a proxy war with U.S. weapons and and all of that gear. You know, regardless of what's going on and what your take is on like the logistics of it, that whole money thing and and where it was going and how vague everything was was just absolutely ridiculous. What what outside looking in before you can actually get into the Senate? How did you think? You know, from your opinion, that whole thing went down. Yeah, look, there, there are a couple of, of serious issues here. One is the Biden administration has no strategy. They're, they're careening from one extreme comment to the next. And the, no one can tell, frankly, whether the president knows what he's saying. He's saying things and his national security advisor comes out an hour later and corrects him. You know, I, the allies certainly don't know. And I'm still fortunate enough to, to have some, some friends uh, who I worked with in, in government, who you know are uh, in different capitals uh, around in Asia and Europe, who, who tell me, hey, look, you know, we just we we don't have confidence uh, in what messages are coming from the United States right now. It's it's incredibly uh, conflicting. We're mixed messages. You know, we we just don't know what the policy of this administration is on on Ukraine and on Russia. One minute he's saying regime change, yep. trying people for war crimes, uh, but you know. Before the beginning of uh, the invasion, he said, well, if it's a minor incursion, that's OK. I mean, he, his blundering has gotten us into an absolute disaster and you know, it's got to stop. That being said, look, we, we're, we're in a situation now where we've got to make some hard strategic choices about what the United States needs to be doing globally. And to me, the greatest threat we face, the greatest threat we've ever faced is the Chinese Communist Party. Yes. And if we're spending our time focused on uh, anything other than the Chinese Communist Party, our leaders are, are not doing their job. I'm not saying we can't walk and shoot gun at the same time, but we cannot take our eye off the ball of Beijing. And unfortunately, this administration has shown every sign of being focused anywhere but the principal theater that's going to define the 21st century. You know, it, whether it's climate change is the greatest national security threat, whether it's focusing on indoctrinating our military and, and critical race theory, whether it's focusing on, on Eastern Europe at the expense of the Western Pacific, uh, it's just the wrong strategy to the extent there even is a strategy. And so I think the way to handle that is to have senators and members of Congress who are going to just hold them to account. It's nominations, it's funding, it's using the defense authorization bill to put the type of policy language in there that they're then bound to by law and they have to follow it. They don't follow it. We impeach 
officials for not following the letter of the law when Congress passes it. We start retaking the authority of Congress to hold the administration accountable when it doesn't follow the law. And so I, I think that's that's the, the temporary solution until we can get Donald Trump back in the White House. Well, it makes a whole lot of sense. And, uh, you know, moving forward, in addition to a whole bunch of America first candidates that are running in the House and Senate and all the governor ones as well, uh, we, we hopefully some of the next presidential appointments that Donald Trump makes once he gets back to the White House in 2025 won't be people like, and I want to ask you, this is the last point, we saw uh, former Defense Secretary Esper go on 60 Minutes and, you know, coming with the rollout of his new book and just slam uh, the 45th president for for things that were probably, and, and I'm saying were legitimately taken out of context. The funniest part of that whole interview was when 60 Minutes said as part of their fact check, they sent it out to like 36 former NATSEC officials and blah, 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 when that's like the same lines that the you know, DOJ used in regards to the Hunter Biden laptop, like, you know, 51 former NATSECs and five former heads of the CIA said it's Russian disinformation. Guess what? It wasn't. Oops. Yeah. So so when when 60 Minutes uses that as like their fact check for for these comments that, you know, uh, former Secretary Esper said, we can't see any more stuff like that. How, you know, someone who worked in national defense and, and national security, how embarrassing was that to see him go out there and just absolutely grift on behalf of a book? Mark Esper is the worst secretary of defense in American history. Mm-hmm. I mean, he truly is. And I think anyone who worked in adjacent to him or, or in anywhere near the Pentagon under his leadership can attest to that. I've been very vocal about this. Not only is the book filled with just outright lies, um, things that, that you know a lot of us can attest firsthand were just falsehoods, um, the, the book it encapsulates why so many Americans are just disgusted with Washington yep. and by the permanent government class in Washington. You, know, you reference the 36 national security officials. I'm sure the overlap between those guys and the 300 who signed a letter that they would never work for Donald Trump, uh, they would rather uh, they'd rather vote for Hillary Clinton in 2016 <laughs> than Donald Trump. I'm sure they're the same people. Um, who, by the way, I would point out, most of the people on that list of 300 uh, ended up trying to claw their way back and get jobs under President Trump. I I can't tell you how many of those people ended up calling me, begging me to try and get them a job. Um, So, you know, there's there's a level of duplicity and just just this is why people don't like Washington. And Mark Esper, I'm just to give you one example. Mark Esper did everything he could to stop President Trump from sending the hospital ships to Los Angeles and New York. And uh, this is the height of the COVID pandemic. We didn't know how bad it was going to be. We needed those ships there to do triage and and to when this is when bed capacity was was running really low. Mark Esper did everything he could to stop that for whatever reason. And when he lost that fight, he showed up at the ship departure to take credit for having sent those ships to the same places he had argued against sending them internally. I mean, that's the kind of guy he is. That's the type of behavior that people just hate from our, our beltway elites. Uh, and I'd be honest with you guys, that's why I'm running because I've seen these guys up close. I know what they're like and I know how to, I know how to defeat them. I know how to use the tools I learned working for president Trump to hold people like Mark Esper to account and to make sure that we never ever, get secretaries of defense or senior national security leaders like Mark Esper again when we have a Republican administration. True story. I mean, there's a whole bunch of patriots in this country right now. Several of them have endorsed you. You're talking Cash Patel, uh, Whitaker, 
uh, Rick Grinnell. Uh, we need people like that. And, and I'm collaborating this list now of people who, you know, have been with the that was with President Trump from start to finish, man, you're in like an exclusive group here. This is like the Founders Club. I got Dr. Navarro, <laughs> Stephen Miller, Dan Scavino, of course, because he's been with them since he's like 16 years old. And and you, I, I, I can't find too many more people who were there from the escalator to the departure from uh, the uh, Andrews Air Force Base. So, you know, it's pretty awesome to see that uh, that's a little tight group of, of guys there and, and definitely pretty elite as far as caliber goes. So, in regards to your race, Alex, do you have any debates or forums coming up that you want our let our listenership know? We've got a couple coming up. Um, we'll have you can go to my website, alexgrayforsenate.com. We'll have all the uh, we'll have all the info there. Uh, would love to, anyone in Oklahoma. I want to get out and meet as many people as I can. I want folks to come and, and watch me talk to the other candidates. We had our first forum a couple weeks back. It was actually focused on national security. And I think the more that Oklahomans get to know me, get to to know you know where where my heart is, uh, know what I've done in my career. You know, as I always say, uh, people ask me, you know, well, you know, you you were in Washington and and now you're back home. You know, Oklahomans, we we don't particularly, you know, we're a little skeptical of Washington, so I don't blame anyone for asking the question. And I always say, look, if Donald Trump had given me the opportunity to work for him uh, and put the White House in Oklahoma. That would have been my preference. But if I, if I had to, you know, to work for Donald Trump, I went where Donald Trump was. And that meant going to Washington. And that was OK. And, uh, you know, I came back as soon as I got the chance. And as Oklahomans are getting to know me and hear about what I did for him, uh, did for the president and did for the MAGA movement in Washington, you know, the campaigns, it's gaining a lot of momentum. And as I said, I think, you know, looking at, at recent polls were were right on track for, for second place and getting in the runoff. And uh, once we get in the runoff, I think it's a whole different story. Sure. I can only imagine how uh, you probably see a rally in your future, to say the least, if you can get into the runoff, <laughs> which is what we're all hoping for, because I think we're the only podcast that cover to cover uh, covers the rally every time Donald Trump has one. So, Alex, listen, we want to invite you back. Everyone that has come on the show lately that's running in the House and Senate has already done a return tour or more. Uh, you got in the race a little bit late because of the announcement of uh, Inhofe's retirement, but after the primary, we'd be much, very inclined to have you join us again. Well, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. You want to tell our listenership uh, your campaign website, social medias, and then the primary date, if you will? Yeah, it's uh, primaries June 28th, alexgrayforsenate.com, and alexgray4ok on Twitter. I like it. You held a lot of high-level positions in the Trump White House, but you're also the former chief of staff of the National Security Council, now running for Senate in the great state of Oklahoma. Alex Gray, thanks for joining us today on Steak for Breakfast. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care, sir. Two more excellent guests to say the week. What do you think? Yeah. Awesome. Good sitting down with Bernard Carrick for the first time. I've, I have a feeling that won't be his last, even though we know how busy he is. And uh, Alex Gray, good friends with Cash Patel. He's going to be one hell of a... Uh, Senator, if he can get through this tough primary right now, it's good to hear that they have a runoff. He said that the polls are reflecting that he's in second place right now, and that's a brand-new campaign. You know, uh, Senator Inhofe announced that he was going to be retiring just uh, maybe a month and a half ago, and Alex was the first person to jump in. But it's become a crowded race. There are a few rhinos and, and, and long-term people in there, but we'll keep tracking that one. And like I said, after the primary, maybe before the runoff, we'll be looking to have him back. It sounded like he had a good time with us. Um, who wasn't having a good time yesterday was – Everyone and anyone up on Capitol Hill. Yeah. Because this whole Ukraine spending bill 
uh, that just kind of this has spiraled into. Listen, we make the joke in in regards to doing the math with the border walls and and where we were with like the thirteen billion so far is anywhere between I believe it's like, you know, ten and twelve border walls that we could have built now. With this proposed forty billion dollar build that was up on Capitol Hill yesterday, we would essentially be into this whole thing for approximately fifty three million, plus all the other you know eight hundred here. 800 million here, 700 million there, all this other stuff that they're throwing in there. The, we don't know where the money's going, what the equipment's being used for. We do know that are, there are some hardcore neo-Nazi groups operating in there. And uh, it's, it's just crazy. You know, it was released this week that the president of Ukraine, Zelensky, he made over $100 million in total earnings last year. Where does that money come from for the president of, you know? Well, I mean, the third most corrupt tr- country in the world. I mean, I've <laughs> I got a couple guesses. So, so just to break down the math, the last year of Afghanistan, which was last fiscal year, we budget appropriated fifty six million or fifty six billion dollars for the um, air quoting now war effort. With this proposed bill yesterday, we would have been right back at fifty three billion. I mean, the military industrial complex has to operate at some point. Where yeah. were they going to get their next meal from? It was going to come in the form of this. To this point, and I'm shooting at a high number right now. It's proposed Europe as a totality, maybe even NATO, seven billion total. So that's how high we were going to be putting in fifty three billion, and they've only thrown seven billion in there, and it's their fucking backyard. Yeah. So. I mean, if if you're closer, I feel like you should probably be spending more. Yeah, you're so concerned about it. Bono was concerned about it. He was so concerned he flew over there for a for a concert last weekend. Hmm. Sounds dangerous. Very. That was after Nancy Pelosi drug her 82 year old ass over there the weekend before in her blue suit. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, what's funny was before this bill was proposed. To the entire House and Senate, it was uh, deliberated behind closed doors with current Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. It was originally $33 billion. After hearing him uh, talk about it, it was raised to 40 Let's hear him. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Um, I think we all agree the most important thing going on in the world right now is the war in Ukraine. No, no. we don't. I had a chance no. to call the president last week and request that the Ukraine package move by itself and quickly. Uh, He uh, said, let me think it over. He called back in about 15 minutes and agreed that we need to do this uh, Ukraine only. Let me think it over as code for let me ask somebody. I think we're on the path to getting that done. Discussions are underway between the House and Senate appropriators on the crafting of the package. It needs to be clean of extraneous matters directly related to helping the Ukrainians uh, win the war. Um, mm-hmm. Noah, you are a foreign policy budget expert. <laughs> <laughs> Joe Biden proposed $33 billion. Mitch McConnell saw that and raised it to 40 I mean, that's just good math, I guess. I mean, if you're if you're looking at like uh, the fact that our military industrial complex is going to be making a fortune, Antoinette, you're hearing some of this for the first time. How does you know we we just covered before our last guest an extensive segment on inflation, and then you know talked amongst ourselves, provide some commentary on some of the clips we heard, and when you hear how honestly 
how hard the American people are, the blue collar men and women in this family are working two, three jobs or leaving jobs because they can't afford to pay for childcare for their children right now or getting hit. And then these guys have the audacity to propose, which would basically up the ante to Afghanistan uh, war effort numbers. How does that make you feel? <laughs> it's disgusting. I, I know so many people that are struggling right now. You know, it, it's it's such a slap in the face to the everyday hardworking American family, you know, like our last guest, you know, said, you know, um, Alex, I believe it mm -hmm. was that said, I'm, you know, one of these, this couple, you know, the mom, or I believe had to quit one of, you know, had to quit her job to stay home with the kids because they can't afford to send the children to summer camp. And now they only have one income and that's just one. I mean, you know how many there are like that. And it's even worse. It's disgusting. Yeah. You know, people can't even afford to go to work. They're they're going to work just to, they're paying for gas, the gas to go to work to keep their jobs. You know, they're barely left, you know, at the end of the day with enough money to pay their rent, you know, buy food. It's it's just sickening. It's disgusting. Yeah, some of our favorite house reps, as this bill went through the house yesterday, uh, took to the floor. I've got three amazing clips from some of our favorites. First up was, and probably was was the most powerful, not loudest, because spoiler alert, Chip Roy is next, and he only talks in one tone, uh, was MTG. Let's hear her. Thank you. I rise in opposition to the Ukrainian supplemental bill. $40 billion, but there's no baby formula for American mothers and babies. An unknown amount of money to the CIA in the Ukraine supplemental bill but there's no formula for American babies and mothers. $54 million in COVID spending in Ukraine, but there's no formula for American babies and mothers. $900 million for nonprofits and organizations in Ukraine, but there's no formula for American babies and mothers. $8.7 billion for economic support and funding in Ukraine, but there's no formula for American mothers and babies. If this is about claiming that it's about saving lives, let's be real, then we would care about war-torn countries like Ethiopia. So that's a bunch of hypocrisy because I never hear Ethiopia brought up here. Totally ignoring, completely ignoring our own border crisis, our own baby formula crisis, and brutal inflation skyrocketing gas prices that no one can afford but $40 billion for Ukraine. Stop funding regime change and money laundering mm, scams. Good to hear that. And U.S. Yeah. politician cover-ups of their crimes in countries like Ukraine. Oof. The American people do not support paying for constant U.S. involvement in foreign affairs while our own government fails our own country. Let me remind everyone here, we swore an oath to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America and our borders. We should be paying attention to our country right now. I yield back. Pretty solid. Yeah. Yep. She makes a great case and, uh, you know, one that did not fall on deaf ears. There was definitely... Uh, and we'll get into it in a bit. Eyes in the Senate watching that. Chip Roy was up next. A little bit louder. Let's hear him. Noah's looking sleepy. This is going to wake him up. 
Madam Speaker, the gentleman from Maryland talked about protecting this institution or talked about this institution, but we got a $40 billion bill at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I haven't had a chance to review the bill. My staff is pouring over the pages trying to see what's in it. You want to talk about the institution? You want to talk about standing up alongside Ukraine? Why don't we actually have a debate on the floor of the People's House instead of the garbage of getting a $40 billion bill at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, not paid for, without having any idea what's really in it, with a massive slush fund that goes to the State Department, $13 billion, $8 billion for the Economic Support Fund, $110 million for embassy security. We've got $40 billion that is unpaid for, and you want to sit here and lecture this body about what we're going to do or not do about standing alongside Ukraine? Why don't we talk about the American people who are hurting, the wide open borders, the inflation that's killing people, the jobs that people can't get because of the cost of goods and services in this country. Sitting here and being lectured to when I don't even have time to look at a $40 billion unpaid bill. I make a motion to adjourn. Mm. Mm. I hate you, Roy. Hear, hear. <laughs> you know, the gentleman's time has not expired. <laughs> <laughs> no, it sure hasn't. You know whose time they wish did expire, though? Uh, Matt Gates. Oof. Listen, listeners, listenership, our, our loyal friend, friends, listenership. I am working really hard behind the scene to, uh, well, I'll, I'll put it to you, frankly. I'm talking with Matt Gates' scheduler. Nice. Yeah, he's going to come on the show soon. Um, we've assured him that we're a little bit safer than, let's say, appearing at a Nick Fuentes event. <laughs> <laughs> So it, it, he'll have a great time when he comes down with us. But uh, he took to the floor in, in, in what's our final clip of the uh, House reps debating over this before we take it to the Senate. And, uh, yeah, he tied that whole Afghanistan narrative into it that I was kind of touching on. Let's hear Representative Gates. Madam Speaker, I rise to warn of a dangerous bipartisan consensus that is walking us into war with Russia. In the days following Russia's illegal invasion of Ukraine, Senator Rob Portman said, I haven't seen this kind of unity since 9-11. It's a nice statement, but what does it really mean? Unity always seems to come before the worst decisions we make. Yep. Mm -hmm. Our drive to unity often overruns our reason and discernment. The post 9-11 consensus gave us the Iraq War, the Patriot Act. The COVID lockdowns and mandates came from unity bundled by fear. Defund the police took off because dissent wasn't allowed. You were shouted down as a racist. Just as now, questioning our actions in Ukraine makes you a traitor. Do we have amnesia in this house? Is memory loss a consequence of the gerontocracy of Congress? Mm. Ooh. Just a year ago, we lost a war against goat herders waving rifles. <laughs> now we're rushing to fight a nation that possesses 6,000 nuclear warheads. Representatives now recklessly assert that we are at war. Congressman Moulton said last week, quote, we're not just at war to support the Ukrainians. We're fundamentally at war, although somewhat through a proxy with Russia. Mm. The clandestine services are supposed to be the quiet professionals. Seems now they can't stop bragging to news outlets about how America helped Ukraine assassinate Russian generals and sink Russia's flagship. How exactly is this supposed to end? It's as if the administration is probing Putin's nuclear red line. A game of chicken between nuclear powers is insane. And this from Joe Biden, who campaigned to be America's calming sedative. How's from Russia, for you? <laughs> yeah. I worry about nuclear weapons 
not broken tanks. Last night, this House approved $40 billion for Ukraine as American families go without baby formula. To put that in context, Biden's budget calls for $15.3 billion for Customs and Border Patrol. So apparently Ukraine is more than twice as important as our homeland. Two weeks ago, we voted on the Ukraine Lend-Lease Act. I was one of just 10 representatives to vote no. And here was the response from MSNBC. GOP's Putin wing balks at supplying weapons to Ukraine. So you're a supporter of Putin if you think it's a bad idea to give the White House blanket permission to send, quote, any weapon, weapon system, munition, aircraft, vessel, boat, or other implement of war to Ukraine. Yes. While surrendering our rights to repayment. We are sending so many weapons to Ukraine that we're depleting our own stockpiles. Also fact. And we aren't just sending bullets and rifles. Now we're sending howitzers that can fire up to 15 miles. This means weapons we supply and train Ukrainians to use could potentially strike Russian territory. And these weapons aren't just ending up in the hands of the Ukrainian military either. One official said weapons, quote, drop into a big black hole. Hmm. Many of these are ending up in the hands of the Azov Battalion. Forty House Democrats called them a neo-Nazi foreign terrorist organization just three years ago. Yep. Mm-hmm. Now that they're killing Russians, are these avowed ethno-nationalists apparently not so bad? Democrats go on a daily snipe hunt for white supremacy here in America, and yet they're fine giving rockets Matt Gaetz speechwriter to is actual white amazing. supremacists in Ukraine. Oh, yeah. Taking the position that we arm anyone to the teeth who will shoot at Russians has actually not always worked for America. It's javelins to neo-Nazis today. Stinger missiles to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan yesterday. In Syria, another conflict that Washington had consensus on, we supplied jihadist terrorists in their fight against Assad. Assad, like Putin, is an evil man, but does that mean the American taxpayer must arm his enemies without any further inquiry? I don't think so. And I would imagine most Americans don't think so. But that's why we never have real debate on these issues. The swamp would rather talk about saving democracy than our actual dangerous reality. And if we are at war, like Congressman Moulton says, then why not vote on an authorization to use military force? Mm. Or are we just going to operate in Ukraine like we have in Yemen and throughout the world? Forever undeclared wars. I suspect many in this body won't want a vote or a debate because regime change in Russia is their actual objective, not defending Ukraine. And to achieve this goal, they're willing to send billions to Kyiv that will line the pockets of corrupt officials, just like we did in Afghanistan. Yep. We are sleepwalking into a war, and the American people are left in the dark. True story. Was that the gavel? Gentleman's time has expired. Yeah. He just beat the buzzer. (laughs) You know. Facts, facts, facts. And and short- how they always call Assad evil. You know, I know a lot of Syrians, and they said that it's all propaganda lies. Same shit with like Putin. He's actually better than Putin, to be fair. But you know what? He he's back out in the Middle East, meeting with some of his uh, historical allies that he hasn't really been allies with for the last you know decade and a half because ever since the Arab Spring. Uh, I also feel I'm, 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 yeah, he yeah. was he was in UAE last month. Um, I also feel that if Assad was really, and and again, they're all horrible, but there's levels to it. If, if he really was like the maniacal evil 
villain from the movies that they make him out to be, his people probably would have gave him a little Gaddafi treatment a long time ago. Yeah. He's not. And I know, like, you could even, there's so many documentaries of, um, that people have done asking just like the regular everyday, you know, uh, commoner in, in Syria about Assad. And they said that there was, he's fine. He's not evil. He didn't do what these people are saying. Our country was beautiful. It was the most amazing country. Like our lives were wonderful. You know, he had to be a certain way because of, you know, certain things like Putin has to be, you know, but not on the level of Putin, obviously, but even, you know what I mean? Um, but nobody that I knew that was Syrian and I grew up with a lot of Arabs mm-hmm. ever had anything bad to say about Assad. Yeah, well, Syria was a really beautiful place. And I, I, I also look at it in the context of uh, we all know that Saddam Hussein and, and uh, Bashar al-Assad were really close friends. Um, yeah, Saddam and, was horrible, though. Yeah, but the fact of the matter is when Assad probably saw what happened to the yeah, Saddam Hussein, he probably was going to fight a little bit harder to make sure that didn't happen to him. Mm-hmm. Well, of so, course. I, I just think it's, uh, you know, one of the things that you have to look at. Um, I saw that. So they did have a vote after that. Only 57 sitting House members voted against this. Jesse Kelly broke it down and, and gave us a little insight on that. Let's hear him. Just the people. And there are so many names that sound familiar to me. I see, uh, oh, Cawthorn. Roy. Chip Roy. Again, we're going to talk to him next. These are the no votes. Green. Marjorie Taylor Green. How about that? Lauren Boebert, hottest woman in Congress. That's important. Fact check, true. Mm. Bishop, North Carolina, great guy. These are all the people. Oh, Massey. What a shock. Massey voting right. These are all the people I'm constantly being told to hate by everybody. Not just the left. Not just the regime media. The, our betters on the right, our politicians and pundits on the right, they're, they're pending a new article every day on why I should be very disappointed in Madison Cawthorn and Marjorie Taylor Greene makes us all look bad. Makes us all look bad? <sighs> they appear to be in Washington fighting against the military-industrial complex and for what I believe, and maybe, just maybe, that's the problem people have with them, No analysis there i mean those are all the people we're told to hate and it's all of our you know friends yep. who were huge fans with here of on stay for breakfast the, the actual america first caucus yep. uh as i like to call them until we actually have one next year after the midterm election so that would bring us to yesterday and uh we would be now having this vote passed in the house presented before the senate um leave it to our good friend several time dunk champion oh deciding vote in whether or not this thing was going to pass Rand paul nice to be the only reasonable person i mean there were people who voted no but the deciding vote rested on his shoulders and uh he went and did it and blocked it let's hear him talking before his decision if ukraine passes our total aid to ukraine will almost equal the entire military budget of russia and it's not as if we wow. have that money lying around. We will have to borrow that money from China Ooh. to Fact. send it to Ukraine. Terrible idea. The cost of this package we are voting on today is more than the U.S. spent during the first year of the U.S. conflict in Afghanistan. Congress authorized force, and the president sent troops into the conflict. The same cannot be said of Ukraine. This proposal towers over domestic priorities as well. It sure does. And he would go on to say, which was uh, an even better take, what his oath is uh to my oath of office is to the u.s constitution not any foreign nation congress is trying yet again to ram through this spending bill one that i doubt anyone has actually read 
and there's no oversight included into how the money is being spent and where it's sent. Mm. What do you think? Kind of love me some Rand Paul. Yeah, he's pretty solid. I'll tell you one thing, though. They weren't finished. Um, So Senate House Majority Leader Hoyer, um, he weighed in today. Today, after the vote was kicked back to the House. You'd be pretty surprised on how he weighed in, Noah. I wish we'd get off this and really focus on the on the enemy. I know there's a lot of politics here, uh, but we're at war. We need to produce energy. We're at what? As I told you, in uh, Code Point is now sending 80% reversing Asia uh, supply to European supply because they need it because we're at war. Said it twice. Weird. I don't think we're supposed to be at war. I was, I was trying to figure out. We, we are a political podcast. We seem to be pretty dialed into the issues. I missed. Going to war? Well, the, the congressional vote to authorize war powers to Joe Biden. Yeah. Answer yeah, it. I don't. I, I Answer mean, it. You I said have, you've been disconnected. I, I mean, have, you probably would have heard, heard this one, right? Yeah, <laughs> I would have heard that for sure. <laughs> In her last appearance as White House press secretary on Steak for Breakfast, mm. the current Jen Psaki, the human fire extinguisher, Big Red, was asked about Congressman Hoyer's comments mm. on the House floor. And, uh, well, I guess in her last appearance, she's going to give you a Saki type answer. On the House floor uh, earlier today, the Democratic Majority Leader, Stan Hoyer, um, said, quote, it is unfortunate that in a time of war that we spend all the time blaming our own president. Just a clarification. It's not the White House's belief that we're at war or like, engaged in any kind of conflict. Uh, I think he's. I, I did not see the full context of his comments. Uh, what I'm betting he was referring to was the, the war happening in Ukraine with Russia. Mm. That obviously the U.S. has a stake in, given the amount of military, humanitarian, economic assistance we've provided. And as I've said before, of course, the Ukrainians deserve the greatest accolades for their bravery and their courage. Mm. But the American people also deserve a lot of gratitude for their sacrifices and their support of this war. And margaritas. Listen, I'm going to have to give you credit there, Noah. Very classy, not garrisoning. I wanted to so bad. On her last clip on Steak for Breakfast. I did see, uh, <laughs> you know, on that video, there was a, a cute picture of of her and uh, Peter Ducey. I guess they took a, a goodbye shot together. Oh, nice. So, yeah, either Peter Ducey is 47 feet tall or, or she's really tiny because uh, he He's towered tall. over. Yeah, he, he should have given over. her the bunny ears or something. That would have been great. Probably gave her more than that. Ooh. There you go. Okay, and our well, damn. She was probably <laughs> saying that afterwards. Who's the stupid son of a bitch now? Yeah. So that's kind of where we're at. Um, some of our sitting Congress people think that we're at war with Russia, active war. Um, members in both the House and the Senate. I think some of like these Congress people need to have their heads examined because if they are actually saying something like this, that means that they are mentally prepared for it to be a reality, in which case yeah. you don't seem to understand the repercussions. Nuclear Holocaust is the repercussions. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. Um, so as Jen Psaki says goodbye, we now say hello to Karine Jean-Pierre. Oh. And in our last audio clip of the day, after we, still thinking that somebody, one of Tucker's junior staffers, Griff's off our show and, and grab some research purposes. He broke it down totally last night uh, and gave us 
a little taste of just what we're in for. Racism, and you get into the best schools, you get promoted, and eventually you run the federal government. And your presence atop the food chain is nothing if not evidence that the country is still racist. It has to be, or you can't justify your job. <laughs> kind of an amazing scam people like Corrine Jean-Pierre have going. She's like perfected it. it. She used to work for MSNBC. She knows the script cold. Here she is in 2020 yelling some more about racism. Now, if you imagine that COVID came from a lab in Wuhan, which by the way is true, then according to Corrine Jean-Pierre, you're not a person trying to get to the truth. No. Can you guess what you are? You're a racist. <laughs> The easy pivot is race, is, mm -hmm. is ethnicity. Yeah. You say it's a foreign virus. I've noticed people tweeting Chinese coronavirus. Right. That's, or, that's what or Tucker Wuhan. Carlson said, right? Yeah. When you look at Fox News, Fox News was racist before coronavirus. They are racist during the coronavirus. Fox News will be racist after the coronavirus. So Ready there is her, nothing Noah. new here. <laughs> so criticizing the Chinese government, the most powerful organization in the world, is racist. Of course, criticizing the powerful is always racist. America itself is racist. Talking about COVID is racist. What isn't racist? Well, we checked Corrine Jean-Pierre's Twitter feed to find out what isn't racist. Mm. Couldn't find much, but we did find a very long list of things that are. Here is a non-exhaustive sample that we compiled of racist people and things, according to Joe Biden's news press secretary, John Cornyn is racist. Mm. Joe Arpaio is racist. Border walls, needless to say, are racist. <laughs> Roseanne Barr, for some reason, is racist. The name Pocahontas is racist, <laughs> despite the fact it was an actual American Indian's real name. Whatever, it's racist. Mike Huckabee may seem nice, but he's racist. He's a pastor. Federal government shutdowns don't seem like they have anything to do with race. Oh, oh, oh they're racist, too. <laughs> Donald Trump, racist. That's a no-brainer. You knew that. Jeff Session, also racist. Aww. Brexit, again, not connected to race. Doesn't mean it's not racist. It is, according mm. to Corinne Jean-Pierre. Sorry, Raheem. Ed Gillespie, former Senate candidate in Virginia, racist. Thank God he didn't win. Ron DeSantis did win in Florida, and that's bad news because guess what he is? Racist. <laughs> Steve Bannon, racist. Sebastian Gorka, racist. And you know who's most racist of all? Republicans who criticize Ralph Northam for wearing blackface in a Klan outfit. <laughs> You're racist, racist, if you notice racism as long as the racist is a Democrat. <laughs> so awesome. Give that girl a big job. <laughs> now, you may be rolling your eyes because you've heard all of this a million times before. Ice cream and Shakespeare are racist. <laughs> but think about it for a second. This is the person the Biden administration hired to tell the rest of us what Joe Biden really means when he says, for example, he's going to kill Vladimir Putin. <laughs> How long until this person calls Putin a racist? <laughs> she probably already has. How's that going to turn out in the middle of a war? We might not have to wait long to find out. Here's yet another incredibly racist thing, according to America's new press secretary. Of course, it is voter identification laws. Mm. Now, you will find voter ID laws in every country on the planet, including in Africa, but that doesn't make them any less racist. 
and, and in order to get these voter suppression laws, besides gutting the Voting Rights uh, Voting Rights Act, you also got to get your people in there to put these awful laws in place. I'm so glad that the Georgia issue is being talked about almost every day now. Yep. It's getting national attention, and it needs to because what's happening is pure racism. Mm. Well, it's pure racism. Now, you honestly didn't think we started the show saying, could you find someone more grading, dumber? more aggressive than Jen Psaki, who's <laughs> headed off to MSNBC next week. And the answer is, oh yeah, the Biden administration can find someone even worse. That's their job. And just to restate, voter ID laws are racist, according to Karine Jean-Pierre. And if you have them, you don't have a fair election. And we're quoting, reminder, she wrote, Brian Kemp stole the gubernatorial election from Georgians and Stacey Abrams. She wrote that in April of 2020. You're she said something similar Abrams four now. years before She's in 2016. Big. We're quoting again. Stolen emails. Stolen drone. Stolen drone. Stolen election. Welcome to the world of unprecedented Trump. I'm uh. pronouncing that correctly. But take three steps back. She used the term stolen election. She questioned voting integrity. She engaged in a baseless conspiracy theory. Yes, friends, she did. And you know what that is? Racist. We know, because we read The Atlantic magazine. What you just heard is a brazen attack on our democracy. It is a disqualifying assault on our norms, our sacred norms. It looks, ladies and gentlemen, like Corinne Jean-Pierre is an insurrectionist, a Q enthusiast, likely <laughs> funded by Vladimir Putin himself. Better call the DOJ and get her an ankle monitor. <laughs> Just kidding. We take it back. We didn't mean to question Karine Jean-Pierre because that's the most racist thing of all. <laughs> you think, um, I haven't looked at Tucker in a while. He's... You think making a bad French accent is racist? Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre. <laughs> I like <how> his laugh. <laughs> She's going to be worse. The best is when you oh, make What do you think they're going to promise her? Because they obviously Saki had to sell her soul to do that job and then she got her, what, freaking msnbc gig which hopefully will fucking tank because nobody's gonna want to listen to her Jean if they don't have to jean pierre's been at msnbc see that's the scary part what's she gonna be the fucking like president of the corporation after this and you gotta remember that long laundry list of, of items that tucker just went through that was in addition to the things that we've already covered she was the national spokesperson for moveon.org mm. um and you know she was a contributor at MSNBC and, and just uh, there's a laundry list of it. Remember she said Donald Trump was going to hang a whites only sign on Ellis Island. That's just ridiculous. Yeah. Right. And in, in yeah. addition to her Come talking on. about all the election stuff that people literally go to jail for now, apparently. Um, but yeah, that's what we're ushering in. And, and we're going to continue down this thread because we say it just when you don't think Joe Biden and his administration could fuck up any worse or put anyone in a position to do the job shittier than the current one doing it. Shock and awe. <laughs> Here she is. Um, but that's going to wrap it for our new segment. And we're going to jump in now with one of our great friends who we don't really consider racist. He's not racist at all. He's constitutional attorney and a big time contributor over at Newsmax. He's coming back to talk about a whole bunch of different stuff with us. It's going to be Mr. Amir Benno. All right. Coming in next, <laughs> this long list of guests we have on Steak for Breakfast today. Huge Friday edition of the show. He is a trial and appellate attorney. Big-time contributor over at our good friends at Newsmax. And a uh, great friend of the show, Amir Benno. Welcome back to Steak for Breakfast. Oh, so good to be here. Thanks for having me. Sir, um, I can only assume that you're always busy. What's going on in your neck of the woods right now? 
Oh, you know, uh, not much. <laughs> no, there's so much going on and, you know, litigating, uh, trying to stay on top of what's going on in the world. It's craziness. Right now we're in, uh, actually, it's like school board election time mm -hmm. uh, where I live. And that's just, I mean, perhaps the most important uh, elections that, that we can have right now. And so uh, that's, that's in about a week, not even, uh, it's in four days. And so uh, things are heating up here a lot. Uh, obviously, it's something that's of national concern. I mean, when you've got Merrick Garland and the DOJ, you know, obviously they're they're branding these parents who are concerned about the curriculum that their kids are exposed to. Uh, and for doing that, they're domestic terrorists, but yet you have people who are, who are you know, mustering outside of uh, the homes of, of judges, uh, essentially with pitchforks, threatening violence, uh, if not actually saying it, but that's what you do when you go to somebody's house. It's, we know where you live. That's yeah. what you're, communicating uh, and nothing's being done it's it just really reinforces that double standard that exists in society yeah it's pretty interesting that you, you mentioned the doj and merrick garland although i think he's going to try and say that it was uh either ignorance or he didn't have the data which seems right. to be one of the go-to answers for people in the biden administration. no 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 <laughs> listen i don't know if you saw it but the judiciary committee yep. you had jim jordan send a letter over to merrick garland uh yesterday or the day before I guess they did uh, a, a subpoena on uh, the DOJ as to where the resources, FBI resources, DOJ resources went uh, after that directive came out back in October uh, saying domestic terrorism. And they are, FBI is questioning moms and dads. They are, they're in fact following up on this. They're, whether or not anybody's been prosecuted, I don't know, but they're spending resources, you know, addressing those folks as opposed to things that are obviously of much more, uh, concern, I think, to the country. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty crazy to see uh, Jim Jordan broke that news a, a day or two ago, and it seemed like uh, there's a, there's a lot of people who are thinking now, based off those pre uh, or the last time they had those hearings in Washington D.C. when uh, Merrick Garland was up there late last year, he may have perjured committed perjury by saying that this not only was not going on, he wasn't aware of it, they're taking it out of context and all that other stuff. Then you then you have like this whistleblower and some investigations going on there. And uh, next thing you know, it looks like the FBI, some of the literature they used literally says to investigate moms and dads. I was like, wow, this is pretty astonishing. It's a little on the nose. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So, so people here want to make a, a huge to-do about the fact that you know, abortion rights, abortion rights are in the Constitution, they claim, when it's not in the Constitution, but yet our First Amendment, which is in the Constitution, they they, they throw that out the window. I mean, there's no question that the First Amendment's in the Constitution, but yet, look what's happening when people, uh, it, you know, actually try to uh, uh, to act on their First Amendment rights, they, they get penalized or threatened with punishment by the national security apparatus or get seven of your accounts nuked on Twitter, which is our case. Yeah. <laughs> so that's just a minor violation of my first amendment rights though. I heard you mention uh, abortion. You know, one of the big things that's a, a huge topic up in the beltway right now is the impending decision on overturning Roe v. Wade. Uh, we got a spoiler or I'm sorry, a teaser this morning that says that there's going to be some more information coming forward. Maybe even a, a decision as early as Monday. What can you tell our listenership? Is this something I'm sure you're dialed into? Yeah, there's so much there. I, I, I don't know whether the decision is going to come down on Monday or not. Obviously, the term ends at the end of June. So the decisions usually on these kinds of cases uh, will be released then or the beginning of July. Uh, from what I understand, there hasn't been another draft circulated other than uh, Justice Alito's draft that was dated back in February. What the reason for that could be is perhaps the dissents are waiting to see if 
the chief justice is going to actually persuade anybody to come over to this sort of middle ground. Uh, I don't think that's going to be successful. But, you know, from what I've heard, the chief justice uh, is looking to strike down uh, the, the Mississippi law, but not to overturn Roe. So he's, again, trying to find some watered down, uh, not constitutional basis for not disrupting precedent. Uh, and maybe he's hopeful that that he can convince uh, a justice uh, to come over to his side. And, and if that were the case, then you'd have uh, a very fractured court. And uh, and so every, you know, pretty much all bets are off at that point. We don't really know what would happen. Um, so from what I understand, though, the Alito's uh, draft decision is the only uh, draft that's been circulated. And uh, I also hear that the majority, the, the five judges who are uh, including Alito uh, that have subscribed to that view uh, haven't budged. So uh, it seems like uh, we are on a course to uh, to recognize that abortion, right or wrong, uh, that is a political process question. That goes back to the states. That should be left to our elected officials to determine whether it's appropriate or not, where those lines should be drawn, uh, up to what point, if they determine that an abortion should be legal, mm -hmm. when it should be done and when it can't be done. Um, but that's not for the the courts uh, to take away from the political process and to, by judicial fiat, uh, pretty much dictate to the entire country uh, what they can or can't do. No, it makes a whole lot of sense. And, uh, you know, we've really been trying to educate our listenership, you know, what the constitutional legalities of, of that decision was. We've heard parts from both sides who have talked about it being the worst judgment in the history of the Supreme Court ever or not. And then where it probably should be, like you alluded to, elected officials at the state level, every state is different. Every state has a different, you know, set and level of values. There are state constitutions and stuff like that, where it could be debated in a more rational manner, I think. Yeah, and it should be. And that's unfortunately because the courts took it away from the political process uh, decades ago, our candidates, our elected officials, our voters don't have any real uh, experience engaging on these issues as to where to draw these these lines. And, you know, the Democrats seem to think like this is this decision is going to be a real shot in the arm for them in terms of energizing their base to come out and vote. But I'm not convinced that Democrats who do come out and vote are necessarily going to vote for Democrats right. uh, just because of this issue. And that's because you look at states like California or like New York that have, have in fact codified, well, they they haven't codified Roe. They went beyond Roe. They, uh, they codified a pretty much unfettered right to abortion up till the date of birth. Yep. Uh, that, even for those people who are pro-choice, uh, goes too far. I think that the vast majority of Americans, even if they support choice, they don't support unfettered right to abortion, that there should be limits at some point. And, you know, if you've got Democrats who are who are getting on their soapbox saying that they believe that there should be no limitations uh, at all. And that's pretty much what Chuck Schumer did when he tried to to do this at the federal level. Um, it's going to turn off a lot of Democrats. Oh, so you I don't know that this ultimately might backfire on them. Yeah, you're 100 percent right. You do have the typical and the usual suspects, the morons in Congress with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer who are going to kneel for Black Lives Matter. They're going to hold up desecrated American flags that have half Ukraine, half United States on it. And then they're going to go all in for abortion up to like some. I've heard some of these people say like seven days after birth, uh, which to me is just crazy. But then you have states where that just doesn't resonate. And you have like the cinemas, Arizona, 
probably not a huge abortion state. Joe Manchin in West Virginia, probably not too popular there with the, a lot of the rural population and the hardworking middle-class families in, in that state as well. So, like you said, it's going to be selective. It's Whether they want to make it a hill to die on or not, I've seen so many polls that said it's not even the top five of the biggest issues regarding right. uh, the midterm elections, in addition to the fact that close to 70% of the country – doesn't really care about Roe v. Wade. The only people that are making a big deal about it is the uh, the legacy media and then those those Democrats in, in the House and Congress right now who are holding on by their fingernails for their uh, power in the Senate moving into the midterm elections. And people in the states that it makes no difference because nothing will change. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's true. And I, you're right. The kitchen table issues are really where it's at. The economy, inflation, crime. Uh, that's what really affects everybody. And uh, and that's what people are more concerned about. And I think that's what the polls show. Um, so so we'll see what happens in the midterms. Obviously, they don't have very much to run on. Uh, you know, they've <laughs> a lot of failures to run on. Uh, the economy is in the tank. Inflation is skyrocketing. Crime is out of control. Um, we've got problems at the border. We've got we've got all sorts of problems. We've got, you know, the debacle in Afghanistan. Um you know, and it goes on and on and on. Uh, so there's no shortage of things to animate uh, Republicans or pretty much any American who's just fed up with the way things are going. So they're going to grasp at whatever they can uh, and try to spin it the way they can with the assistance of, of their allies in the media uh, to, to try to get people out. But like I said, I don't know that this particular issue is really going to jazz people up that much. No, I don't think so as well. That's an excellent point you made in addition to that. You know, we had uh, Cash Patel on this morning. Uh, former chief of staff of the DOD, but he's also a former prosecutor, you know, and uh, he's working with his foundation now, Fight With Cash. He's got a lot of things heating up. We all made fun of the virtue single subpoenas that went out for some people close to Donald Trump. I think it was yesterday in regards to the January 6th committee and mm. the absolutely no wariness that those are going after. You know, they had to throw that out there after Rand Paul stopped the Afghanistan money in Senate just to make sure, like, oh, okay, well, Jen Psaki's her retirement party is today, so we can't end the week on, like, a bad note on her last day. So we're going to say, okay, okay, we didn't get all this money for Afghanistan, but we're subpoenaing Donald Trump's friends for January 6th again. We, we don't try to really focus on that because we know at the end of the day it's not really going to go anywhere, especially when we're talking about, like, the congressmen and, and people in the House and, and, like, Dan Scavino. Like, none of them are going to jail. And, I mean – that's just the fact of the matter. Something that is starting to heat up, but is not in legacy media, the Michael Sussman case. The trial is getting ready to kick off. I believe it's May 20th. And uh, Cash alluded to that. He's been breaking it down with us the last couple of months. What are you seeing when you get to see this thing getting ready to start? Well, I think it's great that the case is going to trial. I mean, the, the judge issued a decision uh, just yesterday. There was a, uh, Durham's trying to get a whole bunch of uh, emails between uh, Sussman and uh, who's the defendant in the case. He's one of the former partners over at Perkins Cooey with Mark Elias. Um, emails between Sussman and um, and some others uh, that he was saying are not, uh, they've been shielded, they've been with, withheld by uh, the defense and, and the prosecutors are saying, listen, these are not, there's no basis to withhold these these emails, they show that, in fact, uh, Sussman was politically motivated. He did not go and meet with the general counsel of the FBI because he was a good Samaritan and decided to say, hey, listen, there's some connection here between the Trump campaign and Alpha Bank. And we should you should really explore that. He went there with a political motivation. He went there because he was involved intimately with Hillary's campaign and with the DNC. Uh, he was partners with general counsel for both. Uh, and these emails show that. And what's crazy to me is that 
uh, Judge Kaplan in the case, while uh, while ordering that several of these uh, emails that were withheld actually do not fall within the protections of attorney-client privilege or what they call work product. That's something that's generated in anticipation of litigation. Still said that a bunch of them did. Um, and what's strike, striking to me about that is I don't understand how you can find attorney-client privilege when, when the, the from what I've read, the, the communications are about not getting legal uh, advice, but about how can we best put this story uh, in friendly media hands yeah. so they can run with this this canard, this <laughs> this this falsehood about uh, Russian collusion. Uh, but yet, when Donald Trump uh, had actually legitimate communications with one of his counsels, John Eastman, about a theory. Uh, regarding the election and, and the joint session, uh, and there was a communication about the legal interpretation of the Constitution, the January 6th committee made an application and the court bought it that there was no attorney-client privilege there, that that communication uh, was really, uh, uh, fell into something called a crime-fraud exception, meaning that none of it is protected. So if you're talking about legal theories uh, although novel, uh, with a lawyer, with your own counsel, that is not protected under attorney-client privilege, according to one court. And then according to another court, if you are communicating uh, with uh, Fusion GPS and you CC your lawyer on it about how best can we sort of seed this story in the legacy media, has nothing to do with legal input from anybody that suddenly does get attorney client protections. It makes no sense. And the only difference I can tell between the two is that one, uh, one set of litigants fell on the right side of the spectrum and the other ones fall on the left. And again, we have this double standard. Yeah. It's, uh, seems to be the case whenever Donald Trump does something, it's, it's usually a combination of a multitude of Pearl Harbors, 9-11s, and January 6s all put together, and it's worse than all of them. And then when the Dems do something like, no, this is standard practice, this is the way it's supposed to be, like this is the way it always is, and uh, you just see the, the constant hypocrisy. I feel, Cash feels, I think you feel too, Amir, we are not going to see some of those mulligans that these people in the Democrat Party in Hillary Clinton's orbit are going to get free passes in this like you would historically. Uh, I'll reference, like, let's just say Eric Holder. It took four years for him to finally be held in contempt of court, and by that time so much time has passed, they said, well, it's going to be on the record, but nothing's really going to happen to him. Like, people are probably going to go to jail as uh, John Durham continues to peel the layers back on this entire Clinton crime family. I can't wait. Yeah. Well, yeah. I hope I hope that people go to jail. I mean, this is a crazy uh, I mean, this is uh, just an attack on our, our democracy, frankly. And uh, I think it's one of the biggest scandals that, that that's ever happened. And politically, uh, I, I think it's just huge. So uh, if people don't uh, go to jail over this, it would you know, I don't know how anybody could have any confidence in our justice system. Well, yeah, we've seen just years and years and years of all these people doing these things and they're basically untouchable. So seeing something happen where people are actually going to be punished for these, these crimes would be huge. It would just be like, okay, we're setting a new precedent. This bullshit's not going to stand anymore. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting narrative to see where it's going. And, 
Cash Cash instructed us all to have our popcorn ready. We might even be doing some <laughs> some live streaming yeah, yeah. this weekend to uh, <laughs> as, as the case gets ready to kick off. Amir, last thing I want to touch with you on, it's something that, you know, happens every once in a while, but is, is kind of uncommon. A few weeks ago, we, we had the budget appropriation hearings. Uh, the one we, I want to focus on is the one for Alejandro Mayorkas. He's the head of the Department of Homeland Security. He was taken to task by both the House and the Senate and, and was really dunked on repeatedly for all of the laws he's failed to appear, uh, you know, and all of the things that he's done to completely erase the Trump era policies down at the Southwest border and, and just the unmitigated flow of people coming in. Some speculate as many as 4 million people since the start of the Biden administration already who will number one, never be deported. Number two, will live off the government forever, make everybody's taxes higher, healthcare more expensive, their kids grades in school go down, uh, jobs harder to find. And, and, you know, people always talk about kind of as a virtue single, oh, Joe Biden, when I'm elected, I'm going to impeach Joe Biden. I'm going to impeach Kamala Harris. Like those things, like there are certain legal contexts that go into drafting articles of impeachment. Well, maybe. I mean, they they did it to Donald Trump based off lies and fraud and all the other BS that they had going on. But but let's talk about the Homeland Security uh, Secretary. There are people who were taking him to task in, in, in Congress last week that were literally saying, like, the first thing we're going to do when we take back power in the House and Senate is essentially, I'm paraphrasing now, impeach your ass. Now, there are some things in legal context that high crimes and misdemeanors that he, he may essentially be doing or ordering with the uh, refusal to uh, follow directions of, of federal judges who, in regards to like MPP, you've got uh, for no reason ending title 42 when the administration wants to continue saying, not only is the pandemic never going to be over, we're going to get a brand new wave right before the midterm elections this year. And then all of the laws that are on the books in regards to, to just regular immigration stuff that he's not been doing as the, as the head of the agency. If someone wants to go down that road with impeaching Alejandro Mayorkas, as a constitutional attorney, how do you see it, uh, the case being built? Well, the first thing is is that the Republicans have to take the majority in both houses. And uh, if articles, articles could be filed, you know, just with any, um, you know, officer of that stature, secretaries, uh, they can be impeached. Uh, and here, keep in mind, Article 4, Section 4 of the Constitution puts an obligation on the federal government to protect the states uh, against invasion. Now, you know, I, I would submit that that this is an invasion. This mm -hmm. is an invasion from fentanyl coming over the borders, criminals coming over the borders. Like you said, uh, people who are who are depleting community resources and the federal government has just ignored it um, and left it up to the states to try to do their best to police it. Uh, and to stop it, uh, I think that this is a failure of colossal proportions by the federal government that does run afoul of the Constitution. And so I think there is a legal basis to uh, proceed with articles of impeachment. And frankly, it's probably a good idea uh, against Mayorkas. Whether it will succeed or not, of course, depends, as all impeachments do, as to whether or not you have uh, brought enough coalitions or you've got enough support in the Senate to be able to convict. Um, so it really depends on, on how these elections shake out. Yeah, well, things keep going the way they're going. I think the numbers are definitely in our favor, to say the least. Mm -hmm. I mean, when you look at it at the end of the day, Amir, I, didn't, I don't know if you saw all the stuff from the hearings. We covered it pretty extensively. When you get to the Senate and you have Democrat senator from Arizona, Kristen Sinema, who's more well-known for her sundresses and flip-flops that she wears up on Capitol Hill, not for slamming the Homeland Security uh, secretary in a Democrat, you know, uh, administration for how 
She wants to know when the federal government is going to start paying for essentially like the healthcare system that these illegal crossings have ruined in, in parts of Arizona. I, I thought it was pretty amazing. You know, we, we expected Ted Cruz and Rand Paul and Matt Gates and everybody else to just absolutely destroy him because that's what they do. Chip Roy, you know, he's a border state uh, house representative. But when you see Kristen Cinema start to pile on, I was like, this is worse than I've ever seen. And there's been some, some, you know, Democrat congresses that have hated the Homeland Security directors, but I've never seen bipartisan basically crapping right. on them yeah. uh, in these hearings, which I thought was pretty astonishing. Yeah, well, when you look at the daily numbers and what they're projected to be, it's it's numbers that we've never seen before. And for the reasons that you said, you know, refusal to to do remain in Mexico, uh, and even when they had to do it, when they're forced to do it, they it's not even half-hearted. It's about as weak as possible. Uh, you know, this whole thing with Title Forty Two, but yet they're still going to you know push. Uh, you know, mandates on federal workforce and uh, whether it's vaccine mandates or or what have you. But yet they there's not enough of an, an urgency to keep Title 42 in place. Again, it's completely inconsistent. The failure to to build the wall, um, you know, it, it goes on and on and on. And uh, so it's not surprising to me that regardless of political persuasion or party, that people who are on the border whose communities are being decimated by this influx uh, of migrants coming through uh, are, are going to speak out. And kudos uh, to, to Kirsten Cinema for doing that. And hopefully she can set an example for others. Yeah, I hope so as well. I mean, this has been awesome having you back on the show. We love having you on. And, uh, of course, we're going to be inviting you back. You know, I've got a question. Alan always bugs me. Uh, you were supposed to be on a couple weeks ago. We had a scheduling blip, and then you got sick. We're glad you're feeling better. But he's always like, listen, when you get him on the show, can you just tell this guy to start his own podcast? He's got the, <laughs> he's got the voice. He's got the knowledge. Uh, you need to it's get coming. It. It's coming. I, I promise it's coming. It's just. <laughs> well, that's what I tell Alan, too. I'm like, listen, the guy's an actual attorney, so he's practicing law. He's on television all the time. Like, yeah, I thought we were busy. Yeah, this, you know, it's not like, <laughs> oh, yeah, just Alan, we're not all like self business owners who have an amazing <laughs> podcast studio in your house and you could just jump on whenever you want. As much as I'd like to, Amir, I'm sure you'd rather do podcasts every day and then sitting in court. Might not make as much money as Fertz, but, you know, it, it's something that's definitely enjoyable doing. But Alan said I had to bring that up. No, I appreciate the kick in the ass, man. I, it's good. I need that. But, uh, and Alan's totally right. It's got to happen and, uh, it will. But in the meantime, I love coming on here. I love talking with you guys about all this. Uh, and I love what you, the work that you're doing and getting the message out to everybody, uh, informing everybody about the issues, uh, and, and, and what the facts are. That's that's doing God's work. Hey, we're, we're trying our hardest to see we're all becoming paralegals with all this stuff that's going on in Washington, <laughs> D.C. for the last year and a half. Amir, where can our listenership find you on social media, is a website, anything, if they haven't found you already? Yeah, so on Twitter, just find me at, at, at Amir Benno. On Facebook, you can follow me at, at The Amir Benno. Uh, and if you want to check out my, uh, my law firm website, it's at BennoLaw.com. We will be live linking those all in the show description today, sir. And we'll be having you back. Trial and appellate attorney. Big Newsmax contributor. Got to say hi to John Bachman for us. He's been on the show. He had a great time as well. And great friend, Amir Benno. Thanks for coming on with us today. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Anytime. Take care. MAGA edition Tuesday in the books. Pretty big banger. What do you think, Noah? Super MAGA? There you go. Antoinette, did it, Did we reach Ultra MAGA today? Yes, we did. Perfect. And I'm glad to be back. And we're glad to have you back. You can hear Antoinette on just about almost <laughs> all of the 134 Steak for Breakfast podcast episodes across every downloadable podcasting platform. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Podatic, Poundy, Google Podcast, FM Player, iHeartRadio, 
and on the Patriot Podcast Network via the Roku app. Subscribe to the show and rate it, leave a review, and don't forget to download, listen, like, follow, and share Steak for Breakfast content. Show creds. Go to our amazing guest today, former senator from the great state of Georgia, gubernatorial candidate David Perdue, Senate candidate running in Oklahoma, former Trump top White House advisor, Alex Gray, former New York City Police Department Commissioner Bernard Carrick, Mir Benno, constitutional attorney, contributor to Newsmax, and our great friend, verifier of all things steak for breakfast, fully endorsed, Mr. Cash Patel. Friends, don't forget to go out and, and uh, throw some cash at our sponsors. Because when you do that, all you do is help our partners make their small businesses great again. My pillow. Mike Lindell. Giza Dream Everything. Apparatus. Enter promo code stake at checkout. Big, big savings. We got a BOGO extravaganza right now. Can't beat it. MyPillow.com, promo code STAKE is the website, or you can talk to a qualified pillow representative via the telephone, 1-800-658-8045. The top tier of ear gear and all things headphone related. They can be found at Odyssey. Go down there and get your ears taken care of right. You pay top dollar, you get the highest quality equipment you could ever own at Odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook and Instagram as well. Stay ready, gear holsters. Now, we can get a picture of Kareen Jean-Pierre calling the Mr. Garrison button racist. Annika it Kide- is racist. Yeah, there you go. On a Kydex Conceal Carry melty plastic holster made just for you. StayReadyGear.com is the website. You can find them on Facebook and Instagram. Man rubs. Don't mistreat your meat. It's the 11th commandment. You buy it. You shake it. You sprinkle it, rub it, slow cook it. Then you put barbecue sauce on it when you take it out of the slow cooker. Put it underneath the broiler for 10 minutes. Tear it up, throw it in your mouth, num, num, num. Delicious. Oh, I get a delicious not a garrison this yep. week? I like it. Manrubs.com is the website. They're on Facebook and Instagram. West Coast Survival Arms for all gun-related needs. Mike's got a pretty simple equation for everything to get you uh, squared away. Firearms, parts, accessories, and ammo. WestCoastSurvivalArms.com is the website. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre Medic for all our first responders. Happy Police Week. Hottest IG in the in the, in the market, Noah? What do you think? That's pretty good. Decent? Well, like if you were wondering on just what parts of the body their stickers actually stick to, they'll <laughs> answer all that and more. MediocreMedic.com is the website. And last but certainly not least, home of the Zero Fucks Duck, dumpbox.us. Don't know? Go ask Mark Joe Friday. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram as well. Upcoming shows. We're coming back on Friday. It's going to be a Trump-endorsed Ohio first edition of Steak for Breakfast. Moved a couple dates around. We're going to open up the show with great friend, Vish Burra. And then we're going to be joined by Ohio 7 winner, Max Miller. And Ohio 9 winner, J.R. Majewski. Same shows. Ships passing in the night. Mm. I like it. We'll come back next week. On the 20th, we'll have Miss Christina Bob, and we're going to get a campaign update from none other than our great friend. He's accomplished column A in the great state of New Jersey, running in District 4, Mike Crispy. Nice. We'll do a special with human events, and we will have Nevada 2 candidate, Danny Tarkanian, joining us on the 24th. 
looking ahead down the road a piece on June 3rd, we'll be hosting John Gibbs running in Michigan three and Kelly Cooper running in Arizona four, both coming back to steak for breakfast. Carrie Lake's going to join us on the 10th of June and all the way looking down the road into July. I still don't know why Monica De La Cruz scheduled that far, but listen, we're going to take care of it and bang it out. Uh, it's going to be a pleasure to hold her as well. We got friends of the week coming in hot. Midnight Mitch got shared by Donald Trump on True Social, so he's obviously in first place. Let's go Brenda and Carb Vibes for collabing with me yesterday to get that Boris Epstein blurb from Steve Bannon's War Room out there. Consequently, Boris Epstein's our next uh, friend on the friends of the week list. Right Wing Savages for helping me make the uh, Cash Patel Moses Let My MAGA Go meme. Q White Memes for sharing everything under the sun. Snack Dickelson for a little collab the other day. Truth on Draft, the Duke of Memes, Madam America, and Baby Cakes 2.0. Friends, I think Cash said it today. Amir meant it if he didn't say it. And Bernie Carrick said it as well. Between now and next show, go do your own research. Number two, start a podcast. Listen, we started out as like the garage band version of Steak for Breakfast. This morning we were invited to uh, Bedminster to host our own show and uh, get a drive-by from Donald Trump. Not too bad? Oof. We're making it. Last but certainly not least, let's see what happens. This has been episode 134 of the show. And on behalf of the pod team, I'm Roan. Noah. Later. Antoinette. Ciao. Excellent job today, guys. We'll be back with 135 on Friday. Vish Burra, Max Miller, J.R. Majewski. A lot of Trump endorsements in there. Thanks for listening and take care. Scissors and comb. Joshua won't go home. She stepped in the other room to answer the phone. The player haters ball gives us an opportunity to hate on a diverse array of mock ass mocks, trick ass mocks, punk bitches and skip scap skanks and scallywags, hoes, heifers, hee haws, and hula hoops. Man, you ought to take that cane. And beat whoever made that suit to death. <laughs> Don't you vacuum that coat, man. Well, well, well. The most diabolical haters this side of the Mississippi. Buck Nancy, what can I say about that suit that hasn't already been said about Afghanistan? It looks bombed out and depleted. And of course, the so called beautiful. Why don't you click your heels together three times and go back to Africa? And as for you, boss ho, very insulting what you said about my coat. It's made out of your mother's pubic hair. Quite chilly. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm gonna go take my throne, because I'm a shoo-in for hate of the year. The player haters bold is not always about hating on one another. We play games with these other two, like our annual photo flip. Oh, damn. Oh, oh my damn. God. Little ass teeth. Oh, you got dolphin teeth. Yeah, I'll send you a hard teeth. He always says he doesn't want anyone to see him shine. But the n- looks shiny to me.